You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network, as we once again bring you a Spider-Man recap episode. We're well deep entrenched into our rewatch of all five of the films from the last 15 years. We're moving now into the fourth one of these, and it's a bit different, it's a bit new, it's the reboot. It's the amazing Spider-Man from 2012. No longer do we have Sam Raimi, no longer do we have Tobey Maguire, but no longer do we have Kirsten Dunst! Uh, we instead have Andrew Garfield, we have Emma Stone, we have a new director, Mark Webb. It's a bit ironic in a way that he directed a Spider-Man movie, but perhaps we'll talk about if that was intentional or not, because I'd like to find out. Plenty to get to with this one. It's uh, been a long time coming to get to this, but we're intrigued to see how it will go. And let me start off by saying, my name, my name, my name, my Ben. And do I look like the mirror of Tokyo to you? And I am Mr. Guevara. Gracias. Oh goodness me! What a, I just I just think we should do this whole episode stuttering, don't you? <laughs> I didn't realize how much he stutters and like fumbles. Do <laughs> you taking notes? Like I don't know. Like this is something I need to talk about. You try writing a quote, right? It's it's like it's like is this just Andrew Garfield's interpretation of Peter Parker? Was this a comic book thing that I missed out on? I mean, what is this? Ah. <laughs> uh... Well, if that's an honest question... It is. I, I just want to know. <laughs> I'm going to start by saying I like his interpretation. I don't like everything about it, but I like that it's different. Uh, I went back and read because, for the most part, they said they were inspired by the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, which was kind of a way of not necessarily rebooting completely, but doing like a very long retelling of his origins, modernizing origin stories of different superheroes so i went back and reread the first three issues before we started recording here today and there are some similarities to what andrew garfield does the stuttering is not part of it a bit of the moodiness is though so i I guess there are some things he pulled from the comic book but uh, i do like a lot of the stuttering i mean it it does get to be a bit much when you're trying to write out quotes (laughs) like i said (laughs) But there's a lot of originality in his performance, and I I feel like it's a bit more of a realistic, modern interpretation of your typical outcast geek from school. Yeah, I definitely will touch on that, because there's definitely parts of it that you feel are really just like, this is what a geek is in, I guess, 2012 Mm -hmm. when this was released. And, I mean, a lot of that, I think, works, but a lot of that, to me, is where I have problems with Andrew Garfield. But we'll get to that. We're still right at the beginning here. We should, um, as I said, mention this was released in 2012, June 30th, to be precise. At least that was in Tokyo, apparently. It was July 3rd in the United States. Um, A lot of Tokyo already so far in this episode. Um, We went over a little bit, I think, in in the end of Spider-Man 3 in terms of the history of this, sort of why it came about and why they decided to to reboot it. I mean, I don't know, Colin, if you really have anything much to add on what we were talking about at the end of Spider-Man 3 with, I guess, the history of why we had to have a reboot of this, but it really, a lot of it came down to, I guess, uh, script problems, wasn't it? And just kind of just the way Spider-Man 3 went and they just kind of wanted to go a a, a different direction, basically, with how they wanted to use Spider-Man, Sony. And... I think on top of that, one thing that doesn't get mentioned enough, people try to say, oh, well, they should have just let Sam Raimi do it. And like, yeah, that worked out well <laughs> with his hands all over Spider-Man 3, as we talked about. Um, but Tobey Maguire was, uh, he still looks young, but 
he was getting old. Like, what was his age? Do you have uh, what his age I'll was when he did I'll get that for you in just 3? a second. If you want to keep talking, I'll find out for you. Yeah, because, I mean, he was getting older in Spider-Man 3, and they aged the character appropriately. But we're now five years later. I mean, at the time they decided to do this three years later, uh, he was definitely too old to do the movie. There are a lot of things you weren't going to be able to do. You're kind of boxed into having this relationship between him and Mary Jane, and the only place that could go is with them getting married, which happened in the comics. And there were just a lot of stories that were left out, particularly personal stories for Peter Parker. You don't get more dram dramatic than the Gwen Stacy story. And if anything, I think the desire to do that story might have been what uh, led them to say, let's go with a reboot. Um, although we'll talk a little bit, mentioned in the last episode about how they flip-flopped on their ideas of what this reboot was supposed to what the reboot was supposed to be all along so uh Tom mcguire would have been 37 had uh, he been oh. in this film if it was released in 2012 so uh he was 32 at the time of spider-man 3 andrew garfield looking here was 19 no 29 sorry uh 29 yeah. during this one say 19 no he's not that young um so sort of you know so how old would how old would Tobey Maguire have been when he did Spider-Man 1? 27. Uh, so... Okay, so. <laughs> it's interesting that Andrew Garfield was older, but he looks... Well, yeah. You know, Tobey Maguire's got that baby face about him, though, doesn't it? Like, mm. that's kind of what helps with Tobey Maguire. But I'm mean, interested, just looking ahead, Tom Holland, who, of course, is Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, he's, what, 1920, so definitely the youngest. And they're... De I mean, we'll get to that, as you said, but he's... They're really going for that younger, younger Peter Parker, aren't they, with Spider-Man Homecoming? So um, I've never well, kind of really looked too much into their age. It's an interesting way of looking at it. There was... We mentioned in the end of the last episode, the original way they announced this was they said they wanted to go back to him being a teenager... They wanted to do a trilogy of movies of a kid in high school. And maybe they would have done with that if they had picked another actor. I think a lot of it had to do with the actor that you end up picking. Um, there were much younger actors they auditioned. When it came down to the casting process of this, uh, I know Andrew Garfield was one of them. They screen tested a handful of actors. The other one that was most rumored to get it is an actor named Logan Lerman, who did a, movie called, a really good movie called Perks of Being a Wallflower after this. Uh, prior to this, he was in like 310 to Yuma with Christian Bale and other things. He would have made a really great young, like the way that they're doing Tom Hall and Spider-Man. But what happened with him, and again, this is all rumors, but it leaked very early that he was going to be cast in this and that he did a screen test. And it leaked because he himself leaked it. <laughs> and then apparently once that happened, Sony was like, no, we're not going with this kid anymore. And that's when, you know, they're like, well, maybe we'll go to Andrew Garfield. I honestly believe... It had to have been Andrew Garfield all along. That is just a rumor. But at the same time, it shows that they were looking for younger actors. So you have to wonder that idea of we want this to be a young kid in high school and we want to stick with that through a trilogy. Did that change because they had an actor who was not going to pass for a 17-year-old kid for very long? It's it's interesting to kind of look at it that way and, and kind of I, I wasn't really aware too much of, you know, we, I think we discussed that with the Sam Raimi ones about other potential Spider-Man, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and kind of all that. And I, I mean, I sort of hadn't really read or heard too much of anyone else besides Andrew Garfield. But I just, I mean, reading here, 
um, Garfield saying about Tobey Maguire, saying that he respected Tobey Maguire and that was blown away by his interpretation when he saw him play Spider-Man. I don't know if there's ever a Maguire interview about, um, you know, what he thought about Andrew Garfield, um, but that would be interesting. Just the other uh, actors, we'll go over this quickly, and obviously we'll talk about our few points of them throughout the film. Uh, Emma Stone, of course, uh, now Academy Award winning Emma Stone. Don't see Kirsten Dunst with an Oscar since Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, sorry, which movie did she win an Oscar for? La La Land. <laughs> did you see La La Land? No, because she beat Natalie Portman and uh, I didn't want to see it. So, <laughs> Yeah. Not a fan of La La Land, that's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, actually, of course, by La La Land, I mean Moonlight. Uh, but that's, yeah. that, that joke's still funny a few months later, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You, you laughed, so apparently it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now is it Reese Ifans or Ethans? I feel like I've been saying Ifans throughout this whole thing, but I think it might be Ethans. I'm not sure. I would have thought Ifans, but uh, I have no potato, clue. Potato, potato. Honest. Who knows? The thing. The thing. I'll just yeah. quickly say, and we'll we'll talk about him again. We're going to talk about all these separately. I just want to go through the cast, but I didn't actually realize. It took me about three quarters of this film when I'm watching it in the cinema to go hang on a minute, I know that guy. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, that's not the guy from Notting Hill who goes out in his underwear and then he's in The Replacements and then was in the Danny Deck chair movie. I'm like, and I knew his name, I just couldn't think about it. And I'm like, that's Reese. I, like, I think he just did it so well for a lot of this film that it was so out of character to what he usually plays. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and so... Uh, maybe... Maybe it's just I've seen the replacement so many times that, you know, when he was cast, I'm like, it's Nigel! That's all I'm thinking. I think I went in, because I think as we mentioned, and we'll go into our history quickly here too, is that, that, yeah, like, I didn't really go into this super excited about it, so it's kind of, I only really went and saw it at the cinemas because we won tickets to on the radio show. So it was kind of, I didn't really go into this knowing who was in it. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, Dad and I would watch The Replacements religiously growing up, and I'm a huge Notting Hill fan, and then there was, yeah, he was in an Australian movie called Danny Deckchair. I don't know if you've heard of Danny Deckchair. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I know of it, yeah. yeah. it's probably not worth it. He's balloons and flying in a chair. <laughs> Danny Deckchair. Uh, but um, we'll talk about him. And also, Mark Webb. Now, like, how how is this that he happens to get a Spider-Man film and his name is Webb? Um, and I'm just reading... I, look, I don't know a whole lot about him, and I'm just reading here the fact that he came into this having only directed 500 Days of Summer... And then a few... He hadn't even directed any TV episodes. He was a he was a music clip director, film clip. And looking here at a lot of his iconic film clips, his first one he directed was one called Canadian Rose by Blues Traveller. Are they Canadian? Um, I've never heard of them. No. Um, <laughs> Very American. <laughs> the Anastasia, not that kind. That's a decent song, but I didn't realise he directed that and then you look through the list of artists he's directed them for three doors down good charlotte green day uh who else have we got here puddle of mud maroon five uh huberstank our favorites <laughs> hillary duff hillary duff <laughs> uh snow patrol incubus wow <laughs> the oh, who's snow who? patrol. that's how i got the spider-man gear there you go evanescence is on here uh p diddy fergie he directed clumsy <laughs> Miley oh, Cyrus, <laughs> how wow the guy, who, this guy is is in, um, but yeah. So I wanna, yeah, uh, you please interrupt me here. I'm just I'm going over his music clip credits. Yeah. I need to go to YouTube and watch. Well, all I these. want to see. <laughs> he, 
he is what made me excited to see this movie, believe it or not. Even though he had only made 500... (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Between her and Snow Patrol, I was sold on this. But um, I'm a huge fan of 500 Days of Summer. I saw that when it first came out. um, And it's one of those really small movies that probably would never get noticed. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt now, that's huge. This was like his breakthrough movie. Nobody, everybody was like, it's a kid from Third Rock from the Sun still when it came out. But that movie was so good. And for a movie, I guess you could call it a romantic comedy. I'd say a romantic comedy told from the guy's point of view. Such a smart movie. And you want to talk about a guy that could direct chemistry. A lot of people like to give Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone credit for their own chemistry. And they definitely deserve some of that if you Mm. know the story behind them. But Mark Webb has a lot to do that. This guy is amazing at directing uh, like men and women together. And if you haven't had a chance, watch 500 Days of Summer. It's such an original movie. So good. Uh, And even though you would never think Spider-Man by watching that, when they said, we're replacing Sam Raimi, and it was like a day later, we've got Mark Webb directing. I'm like, oh, I have to see this now. I was very much like you, though. I wasn't that sold on the movie. I was still very skeptical going in. A lot of things made me uh, very standoffish with this. Well, I guess we'll talk about that history. I just also other cast members I should mention. Obviously, Dennis Leary, uh, Martin Sheen, Sally Field. Um, so, I mean, big names uh, when it comes to some of those people. Um, but, yeah, I guess, yeah, just reviewing our history, if you sort of zoned out as Spider-Man 3 and didn't hear a little bit of what we were saying. But, yeah, like, as I just said, I got tickets to this. Dad and I got tickets to see the, you know, premiere of it. Uh, you know, in 3D, of course, we'll need to talk about that throughout this film, don't we, that this was obviously shot with 3D in mind. Because even watching this again... There are so many scenes where you're like, wow, okay, that was clearly done for 3D. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, like, I just, I guess I remember seeing the trailer for this after, because when I heard that they re, like, were redoing it, I'm like, oh, really? Like, why? Um, and then it was, saw the trailer, I'm like, eh, I mean, what does that look any different to what we've already just seen in the last 10 years? Because, you know, 2012, it's 10 years after, you know, Spider-Man 1 was released. So, yeah, I, I didn't go into it thinking a whole lot, and I only ever saw it the once, and, yeah, as I think I mentioned too at the end of Spider-Man 3, I hadn't really watched it the second time until only a couple of months ago, so in rewatching it for this recap, it was only the third time I've seen it, so... Um, I, I found it most interesting the fact that, you know, I actually rewatched the trailer again as well because you kind of uh, tempted me to go back and watch the trailers for Spider-Man 2 and 3 because I couldn't remember them. And they, I mean, let's be honest, they were really good. You weren't uh, talking them up at all. They were really good trailers. Um, and I love the line in, um, in this trailer for this that still baffles me, the untold story. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure we've heard this one before. Uh, but yeah. maybe maybe we can talk about that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, your history with it. I know, again, we went over this before. but Well, I wasn't as excited for this one. Uh, mostly when they first said we're going to do it as a high school thing, I liked the idea of just continuing on with part four. You can make it something different. You know, the way that Batman Forever really had no connection to the first two Batman movies, but it was a continuation. They weren't retelling a story. I like the idea of doing that. And I would have loved to have seen him still as an adult with new actors and everything, but just make it something different. I didn't love them going back to him doing the high school thing. Um, When they said, oh, but we're not making it an origin story, which is, by the way, the same thing that they originally said with uh, Man of Steel. And they kind of went back on that, too. uh, It just bothered me because I feel like you can redo an origin story if you could bring something new to it that needs or something that needs to be done better. Superman and Spider-Man, those are two origin stories that were done perfectly the first time. You know, maybe a few little 
mistakes here and there that could be changed. But for the most part, you're not going to top it. So I wasn't excited about seeing the same story over again. You know, when they started promoting the untold story, I was semi-interested in that because they said, well, we're going to be going into the backstory of things that you never, you know, you never were told before. I'm like, wait, that's interesting. But you you mentioned the trailers. Um, I loved the trailer, but the teaser trailer that came out, I felt was so overdoing it with like the moodiness and uh, Peter being kind of, you know, dark and uh, depressed and everything. It, it just, it didn't fit with the Spider-Man I wanted to see. Uh, on top of that, Andrew Garfield... I wasn't familiar with him. The only thing I was familiar with him from was um, uh, a Doctor Who two-part episode that he was in. And Andrew Garfield is British in real life. And I'll really? give him a ton of credit for the accent. Yeah, well, I think he deserves a ton of credit for the American accent he does here. It's very good. But wow. at the time where I saw him in this Doctor Who episode, it must have been the first time he did an American accent. Because you should go back and watch clips of him in the, I think it was Daleks in Manhattan was the name of the episode. It is one of the worst British actors doing an American accent you ever heard. And I thought he just looked kind of creepy. I thought he was way too tall. All these things just didn't make me excited. But I still want to see it because I thought, well, the trailer looks okay and it is Spider-Man after all. I didn't see it opening weekend like I did the first three. Uh, I saw it, I think, on the Tuesday because I finished all my work early. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go see a matinee of Spider-Man by myself. And I did see it in 3D and I was completely blown away maybe because my expectations were low but i was so blown away that i went back that weekend and i dragged jamie my wife you know uh at, at the time uh, i think we even took her brother to see it too and i paid and i'm just like you guys have to see this i mean it's just it's it's so surprisingly good looking back now maybe that was just low expectations but there are so many things about this movie that i still really love and i've seen it so many times since then uh in a lot of ways, I think I do hold it on the same level as the uh, others. It's just the origin story. Never really was crazy about it. But it surprised me more than I thought it would. I am blown away that he's British. I had no idea. There you go. This is. I think this is like... Really? I think this is when like Christian Bale won the uh, Academy Award that year. And he... I mean, he's Welsh, isn't he? And like, I heard him speak. And I'm like, yeah. that's not Batman. Who the fuck's that? And I'm like, holy crap. He's, <laughs> he's not American. Like, he's... I just... I would have had no idea. So, wow. That, that's impressive. Um, but just, I mean, just looking at his film group, he really hadn't been him much, had he? I mean, I, I knew him from the social network. That's basically, I think, what a lot of people probably knew him from. Uh, apparently he was in the other and bowling, let's, bowling let's girl just, with Natalie Portman. I didn't know that. Uh. Well, I just want to say in the social network, uh, there are two things that sold me on him. A movie he did years earlier called Lions for Lambs, mm -hmm. which was a Tom Cruise, Robert Redford movie. And he didn't get any attention for that because he was unknown, but it basically is his movie with these other big stars. He's really good in that. And like you said, the social network, when I did see that, it got me a little bit more excited for him in Spider-Man because I thought he was probably the best thing about the social network. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of social network. And I, um, I, I remember Lions for Lambs, actually. But, uh, of course, I mean, we, we, we talk about Emma Stone being an Academy Award winner now. Uh, I mean, Andrew Garfield is an Academy Award nominee, of course, now. Uh, he was recently in, what, Mel Gibson's Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge. Did he get nominated for an Oscar for social network or was it only just for... No, no, he didn't. I, yeah, I think it was just Eisenberg. Right, okay. Well, there you go. So, you know, steamed actor, and he's still really 
got a lot to catch up on because he hasn't been in a whole lot if you look at his film credits. But anyway, let's talk about this film. We've spent all this time the preview stuff, but, uh, you know, you don't feel like we're going to be another three and a half hours because we might be, but I don't have MJ to bash this time around. So, uh, (laughs) who knows? But um, we start off, and I'm just going to say this straight away, the music, the score in this is just, it it can't compete with the original trilogy. I don't know how you feel about the score. Mm. I'm not a huge fan of the scores in these films. They just don't... I don't think it fits the film. I don't know. And then just the way it kind of starts off, it's we've got the web, we've got, you know, the amazing Spider-Man. Straight away I'm thinking like, oh, we're going to get like flashback, like here's the kiss again, here's the the Spider-Man raping Norman scene again. Uh, no. <laughs> not quite but we do get little children uh well a little kid at least so uh we're right back into um way back into the parents days we never got this in the toby Maguire trilogy the sam raimi trilogy so we uh see little peter parker playing hide and seek uh his parents go well out to play hide and seek don't they by putting shoes and brooms underneath uh curtains which i don't know why they need to go with the broom just put the shoes under there <laughs> like i mean it's kind of yeah still the same thing right you're going a little bit too elaborate there mr parker um and then so he's sort parker. of pecker mr pecker um <laughs> as he's as he's trying to basically find his parents uh he discovers that the house has been trashed the first one i watch is i'm thinking gee the house is messy but i guess kind of there's a reason to that and uh calls his dad his dad walks in and uh basically yeah the office has been trashed he finds some secret files at the bottom of a drawer and then Let's grab Pekka and get in a car and uh, take it to... Take it. Take him to his aunt and uncle's house. It's Aunt May and Uncle Ben. They look slightly different from the last time we saw them. A little bit younger. Uh, more believable as an aunt and uncle, I think we went over in the first one. Uh, yeah. You know, Aunt May and Uncle Ben in the Sam Raimi films probably look more like his grandparents. Still great. But mm-hmm. uh, we've got Martin Sheen and Sally Field. I mean, that's... That's a pretty good combination. We should just quickly point that out. I mean, I, we'll talk about whether or not we like them better or not than, uh, you know, our older Uncle Ben and Aunt May. But to land two, you know, well-esteemed actors, I mean, Sally Field, Academy Award legend, and Martin Sheen, legend as well. I uh, mm-hmm. don't know what your take was. Did you know they were going to be in this film going into it, or were you shocked when you first saw them? Uh, no, I found out when they were cast. I was following this very closely, like, when all the actors were cast. And uh, it, it was one of those things where... You would never think if somebody told you sit down and think about, I don't care, you know, whether they would do a movie like this or not, who would be the best actors in the world to play Uncle Ben and Aunt May? You would probably never think of Martin Sheen and Sally Field. But the second you hear the names Martin Sheen and Sally Field as Uncle Ben and Aunt May, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like that, that that really works. Yeah, yeah, and I think they both fit it really well. I uh, I love Sally Field, just love her to bits. Um, and yeah, same with Martin Sheen. It's just, you know, it's Martin Sheen. Come on, people, it's Sally Field. Like you don't need to go on about how great they are because everybody knows how great they are. Um, I've written here that Peter Parker's dad's a bit of a dick because uh, at least his mum's all like, you know, like oh, you know, when he doesn't like crust on his bread and he likes his nightlight on, and dad's just like, be good. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Like, why would you miss this man? (laughs) See you in the afterlife, son. (laughs) He's an asshole. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I've I've literally written here, Dick Father, be good. (laughs) Anyway, so there we are. Uh, Fast forward a few years. Did you want to talk about this scene first, or did you want me to skip ahead? Please jump in if you want to quickly talk about this. um, You know, this is where the untold story starts to become a bit of a disappointment, because... (laughs) 
I really like this idea, and I think it's because we don't really go anywhere in this movie. Audiences this year were so um, expecting to have answers for everything, and I think we, we were just sort of at the dawn of when movies were going to start to... They knew they would have entire trilogies to tell a story, so they would leave things open. The same thing happened with Prometheus this year. Everybody's like, well, we didn't get any answers for anything. With this one, I feel like we should have gotten a little more because this is really all we get, uh, you know, a few little bits here and there. But the idea of it, I think, is great. And I wrote in my notes that this would have worked great as an opening sequence for Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4. Like, you could drop this story in at any point. Yeah. And, you know, Peter mentions, uh, I don't even know if he mentions his parents in the original Spider-Man trilogy. But, you know, when they are mentioned, he just sort of brushes it off. And then to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, they left me. Yeah, you know, they they abandoned me, and he doesn't know why. It would be a great way that they could. They talked about how they couldn't come up with a good idea for Spider-Man Four. This would have made a good basis for Spider-Man Four with Peter graduating from high school and now having to deal with his daddy issues. Completely agree. That's yeah. It's it's kind of interesting to kind of that it starts off with this, you know, straight away like this. You throw it into it, you get this parents scene, and we, uh, yeah, I, I can't even remember too much of him mentioning it. I mean, look, let's be honest. If his dad was this much of a dick, then no wonder he doesn't mention him. Like, fuck you, dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, mum loved me, but you know, mm-hmm. be good. Bye. Um, but yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, we fast forward obviously now, and uh, look, he's grown up. He's turned into Andrew Garfield. Um, <laughs> what do you know? Um, we get you know geeky Peter at school. Is he geeky though? We'll get to that. Uh, he's yeah. putting up photos. Um, Flash is still being a dick to him. Flash is you know look younger. He's not going to be in future Magic Mike movies at this stage. He's got a shaved head and. <laughs> You know, cool. Um, he's just getting shoved around a lot. And then there's some random hot girl wanting Peter to take photos of a boyfriend's car. Um, we really start to learn that uh, Peter Parker's got a stutter. Um, and he just likes to skateboard through the halls and all this sort of stuff. Uh, there just happens to be a horny teenage couple getting it on in his locker. Why not? Um, and then he creepily walks outside and starts taking pictures of Gwen Stacy. Um, you know, which, hey. For, for his computer. Well, exactly. <laughs> his uncle yes. apparently spends a lot of time on. <laughs> which does get a bit creepy later on, I feel. Like, it's kind of... <laughs> a few creepy moments of this if you take it out of context. And you know we'll make it out of context in certain things in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then all of a sudden, Flash is bashing up some kid, making meat his vegetables. So in comes, you know, the geeky Peter Parker to save the day before he ends up getting bashed up himself, basically. Uh, and then Gwen steps in, because Gwen's going to Flash's house afterwards and wants to learn homework. This is, to me, I'm thinking, like, is this just MJ all over again? She just got multiple men on the go. Like, you know, I forgot that she was going to Flash's house afterwards, but I guess this is the only scene, isn't it, where we get any inkling that Gwen has any interest in any other men. So, uh, tick to yeah. you, Mark Webb, that we have um, pretty stable girl. Monogamous in- relationship yes. in a spider-man film good on you emma stone uh, for keeping it in your pants for one man unlike mary jane um and then basically from here we get peter going uh well no, they're in class aren't they i was about to say he goes home no he doesn't we're gonna go to yeah. class um, and we get the first sort of peter gwen scene uh you know she's turning around do you know your name and it's like oh you don't know my name it's like oh i know your name but do you know your name uh, it's cute. I like it. Like, look, I will say, I do, I do like Gwen and and Peter in this film. Like, it just works. It's so, 
the chemistry and like as you kind of alluded to before between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. I mean, they were in a relationship with this. Was it during filming or? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think from what I've read too, like they're no longer together, I believe, but they're still very close friends. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> you can t- easily tell that that works on screen because the chemistry is so good that they're just seriously. I swear, at every single point of this film when they're on screen, they literally want to just have sex with each other. They just yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's, and it's like it's not like creepy, like oh, we're just going to have sex and go our separate ways. It's like you could imagine that this in real life was how it was between these two, like. You kind of like ah, oh, but you kind of like oh god, two pretty you're people. Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, that's sweet. I don't want to watch them do it, but I want to see how they get there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, and then from there, Peter goes home. He's complaining about the fact that he's having spaghetti and meatballs. He's just a typical teenager at this point. Like ah, oh, spaghetti and meatballs, really. Um, we meet Uncle Ben again. He's got bowling trophies. He's broken a, a washing machine. Apparently, Peter can fix everything. Um, and then from this, there's leaky water, and he discovers a, a briefcase, which is was his dad's, and uh, he finds a bunch of stuff in it. So I guess we'll cut it there, because um, I kind of want to stop, I guess, before... I guess we can go through the computer scene quickly. I mean, he finds a what yeah, glasses, files in the bag. Um, he finds an old photo with him and Kurt Connors, uh, which he doesn't know it's Kurt Connors because you know Martin Sheen. I'm just going to call him Martin Sheen, not Uncle Ben. Uh, discovers doesn't tell him straight away, but then comes up and tells him when he discovers that he looks just like him with the glasses on his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see that Peter he really does too. They they did a good job casting true. his dad to look him with the glasses. Yeah, very very true. So this is why maybe, um, you know, Peter's a bit of a dick in this movie, just like his dad. Um, yeah. <laughs> because, believe me, I'm going to say, there's plenty of moments in this film that Peter Parker's a bit of a dick. Um, but he's also, I like the fact that he's built a little door-locking mechanism on his door, which is cool. And, but the biggest shock out of all of this, though, is that he uses Bing. Who uses Bing to search? <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Like, is Bing owned by Sony? have a state? <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking. They must have a stake in this. Well, because who uses, who has ever used Bing? Like, in all seriousness. <laughs> or were they were being like, oh, we'll pay you some money so you can make it look cool because it's in a Spider-Man movie. Uh, fuck off. Bing is not cool. Like, I want I want to see, like, them on Alta Vista or something. Nah. Just make it completely awkward. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Rename it Ask Bernard. <laughs> a guest? A guest. <laughs> I loved your search, just like I loved the last one. <laughs> During my time as a glider forensic scientist from Wounds, <laughs> I've discovered that I can run a search and ask me any questions about glider wounds. <laughs> ask me about a decay rate algorithm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, basically leads him to finding um, these symbols and Kurt Connor, Kurt Connors, and basically Kurt Connors is working at Oscorp. Fantastic. So that's going to lead us into the fact that Peter's about to sneak into Oscorp. I've gone over a lot of it there. I just want to say really quickly before I let you talk, because I just want to give a quick a viewpoint here on, on how Peter Parker is. And I think I touched a little bit in the, our first three films. Like, I just do not like Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. As Spider-Man, it's different. But I just... There are some things that I guess work, but to me, I understand the interpretation of this is what geek is in 2012. Like, geeks are sort of kind of cool at this point of the time. I just don't think that works for someone like Peter Parker because, like, 
he just he, he he's too cool. Like, yeah, he's getting pushed around yeah. a little bit by Flash, but at what point does anything else happen so geeky? Like, where's the fat kid eating the donut, laughing at him chasing the bus? Like, <laughs> where's um. You know, the douche is pushing him when he's taking a photo. And where's kids putting spitballs in college a few years later? Like, even then he's getting, like, geeked out. Like, and and Andrew Garfield is too attractive. I am going to say it. He's yeah. I'm not saying Tobey Maguire wasn't attractive, but you can believe him as that geek that no one would kind of go for. I mean, Andrew Garfield is just, he's, he's a hot guy. Like, I wonder, like, there's no, there's no, in no way as well, does he have any trouble getting Gwen Stacy? Like, at least he had a bit of trouble getting MJ. And that's saying something. It's MJ. But, like, <laughs> he's basically got Gwen Stacy in that first scene. Like, at that point, she wants to bone him. So there's no, like, I guess, you know, tension there. There is, but in different ways. So we'll talk more about that throughout it. I don't know. Like, I just wanted to put that out here because it just this is what shocked me, I think, straight away when I, when I saw this film. It's like, he's geeky Peter Parker, but he's kind of cool. He's riding a skateboard. He's, you know, disobeying the teachers. And even when he's getting bashed up and he's still rescuing, like, would geeky, geeky Peter Parker really step in to stop that fight? I don't think so. Geek wouldn't do that. Like, yeah. Anyway, that's my take on it. I'll shut up. (laughs) One of the things I found in going back to the Ultimate Spider-Man is that Peter has a little bit more balls to him and he's not uh, not the type who's going to sit there and interject himself in a fight, but he is the type of guy who's biting his tongue because he really wants to. Uh, so I kind of like that they have him getting involved in the fight there, especially since he doesn't really do anything in the fight. But it shows... I guess what it ultimately comes down to is that if you want to have that smart mouth trash talking spider-man later on you have to believe that he gets it from somewhere and he naturally has that in him therefore we have to see him early in the movie have a bit of that so i understand why it's there Uh, i will agree with you he doesn't look weak enough uh he's way too tall there's ways to remedy this you could have cast larger actors i mean i think he's at least the same height as flash he's not as buff but obviously he's lanky but still that's why spider-man is even when he is buffed so one of the complaints I had was that Andrew Garfield, ne- to me, never looked like a guy who would have trouble in a fight. And what really worked about Tom McGuire the first time around was that you saw him and you believe this guy's never going to win a fight. When he takes off his shirt, you're like, okay, now I believe he can defend himself. But when he puts the glasses on, nobody's going to suspect he could ever be Spider-Man. Yeah. You're not going to get that with him. Yeah. Uh, the skateboard, I don't like at all. Because that does make him a little bit too cool, I guess you could say. Uh, but so much of peter parker that he does here is so right the way that it is a modern interpretation i love the way that he has the stuttering uh i think it works the way he communicates with people it feels very natural the way andrew garfield does it and that's what i love is that none at no point does this feel like he's reading lines it feels like he's making it up on the spot and uh that's something that uh i think uh a, a lot of people can learn from when they do these outcast characters because it he comes across as being uncomfortable and awkward and it's hard to script and it's hard to act uncomfortable and awkward he does it so brilliantly i love the way he does it um flash i'm just gonna say this flash is so cool in this movie i wish i were flashed off i like flash he's not like the flash in the first one where you're like man i want to punch this guy like (laughs) you kind of like you know that he's a jerk you know that he's you know, the school bully, but in a way you're like, he's just Flash. He doesn't know any better. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. You like him. Yep. Yeah, he's a likable guy. And I like that they, they have a moment later on in the movie where they show him as likable too. 
Um, I just want to say the, the chemistry here. Now, I, the rumors at the time was were there were two rumors. One that Logan Lerman cost himself the role because he opened up and announced, "Oh yeah, I'm in the running for this role." Uh, the other rumor was that they went they ha- basically had three final actors. They made offers to all three of them, and Andrew Garfield was the one who was willing to accept the least amount of money to do it because I think his salary was made public and it was absurdly low for the first movie, uh, which you can understand. You know, if you get in a franchise like this, it's going to pay off in the long run. I don't think either of those rumors are true. I don't believe they ever had any other choice but Andrew Garfield because I think they were casting chemistry. And this is where Mark Webb comes in. He understands chemistry between leads, and I, I. I I have a hard time imagining that either Andrew Garfield or Emma Stone gets cast in this movie without the other one. I believe they cast the two of them together, and at no point were they even considering casting one but not the other. And they probably had other groups that are like, okay, well, if it's not you know Garfield and Stone, let's go with uh, Lerman and Portman. <laughs> Please don't <laughs> let that be the case. Aww. Uh, but these two had to be in it together, and that's what works is every single scene they have like that scene where she's asking you know do you know your name it's like oh yeah i know my name but do you know who i am like it, it works so well because they both seem so natural in it. and it probably is because they both were ready to bone each other on set who knows <laughs> they probably were like in between said, takes <laughs> yeah but we talked about you know uh the the difference between the kirsten dunst Tobey Maguire chemistry and i kind of defended the hayden christensen natalie portman chemistry and that even if they didn't sound believable you know, reciting these lines, they looked and acted like they were ready to get it on. And this is kind of the balance between the two is that it's still innocent enough that, you know, it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, Uncle Ben and her, on the other hand, gets a little uncomfortable. Later on. <laughs> Hang on a minute. What? Where, where's this going? <laughs> <laughs> well, scene coming up later on, we'll get to it. I just think it's kind of funny. Uh, but I also like when he calls him, you, the way he says it, it's like, uh, put him down, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. Like, you need to understand that this cockiness and uh, his smart mouth would come from somewhere. So we see a little bit of it here. I like that you said you, you want to see the fat kid with the donut <laughs> spilling on himself and mocking him. I just want to see, you know, Peter sticking up for him. And after the fight's over, Peter's got a bloody nose. This little kid who's been dunked in the food has got a bloody nose. Peter tries to help him up, and he's like, leave me alone, loser, yeah. and he just punches Peter away. <laughs> That's what you want to see in the movie is the, uh, the little kid bully Peter, too. Because it's, it's like, it's, it's at this point, like, he's not on the bottom of the food chain, is he? Like, he's got yeah. somebody bu- lower than him because he's helped a kid who's getting bullied. And, I mean, to me, and again, this is coming from somebody who's never read the comic books, um, you know, he's kind of that real, real geek that should be the complete utter bottom of the social spectrum in high school. So there shouldn't be someone yeah. lower than him. And at this point, there's someone lower than him. And that's kind of, it loses me at that point. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, the way that the interpretation here gets lost on me is that he's not so much uh, an outcast because he's a geek or awkward. He's an outcast because he chooses to be because he's so much of a loner in this. You know, even the way he talks to uh, Gwen here, it, it just comes across like, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to get in your pants, but I don't know what to say to you because I don't like interacting with people. Like, he'd be the guy who's like, just shut up and let it be done with. You know? <laughs> but, Is that you, Colin? Is that how Casper yeah. was born? <laughs> That's why I love Garfield. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think he's too much of a loner by choice in this. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I would have liked it the other way around where maybe he's a bit of a loner because this is going to sound weird, but if anybody out there has watched the show Riverdale, uh, the way they portray the character of Jughead, which if you don't know, do you know anything about Riverdale? No, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> it's basically, imagine if the Archie comics were done like the Amazing Spider-Man. We're going to make it serious. We're going to make it real. We're going to give it drama. We're going to give it murder and, you know, make it R-rated almost. Um, wow. And they have Jughead kind of like this character of Peter Parker, where he's just this dark brooding character. But he's an outcast because people don't like talking to him and with peter it's more like i don't want to talk to anybody else so i would have done that a little bit differently here but i i didn't feel the need to re-edit this movie thankfully um i just want to say with the uncle ben and aunt may it's not just that they're great in this this is where chemistry is important between all your actors because i think andrew garfield has chemistry with everybody in this movie the way he interacts with aunt may is great the way yeah. that she's you know slapping his hand and stuff like that uh, the stuff with Uncle Ben's great where, you know, he takes him down to the basement. It's like, hey, help me clean up some of this mess. I really wish we had had the Cliff Robertson for this one scene because I just imagine him where he's like, hey, Michelangelo, flood in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to with great water place. comes great cleanup. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm interested. You, you said you liked that he had like this gadget on the door. You kind of, in a way, mocked. I don't know if it was mocking, but you're like, oh, I guess he just fixes everything around there. Do you like that in this, he's not so much a science, like a theoretical science nerd, but he's more of like your gadget guy. He's an engineer type kid that, that likes building little gadgets and experiments like that. I like, Do you like that? or I like it because it works for the story, um, particularly when it comes to, say, building the webs. Um, and I guess I haven't really thought about it too much because, again, having, you know, repeating myself a hundred times, I, don't, I haven't read the comics. So I don't know if he is the geeky science one or he's more of the engineer kind of, type of guy. I think it works a lot in these films that he is the engineering guy, particularly when it comes to, you know, so many things throughout it. So, yeah, I, I like it. It kind of, it's a nice little touch. I mean, I, I, I like, I like that gadget on his door. I want that gadget on my door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's cool. Um, and it's kind of, I guess it also ties in well with this one that, you know, it is set, what, I guess, origin-wise, 10 years after 2002. So, like, with the technology that they can use in this, they can sort of use it to their advantage. You know, I don't know if you would believe that 2002 Peter Parker might have had that or something like that. You know, they couldn't even use cell phones in those films. So, um, yeah, I like it. I do. Okay. Yeah, because I like it too. I, it's it's a different way of interpreting it that doesn't stray too much. He's a different type of science nerd in this. You know, in the original one, he was the one who found it interesting that, you know, spiders can blend into their environment or whatever and the largest electron microscope that's the type of kid that you know even the other nerds in the school are like <laughs> electron microscope <laughs> uh whereas here he's like oh he just sits in his room and builds all these weird gadgets but meanwhile you're like you know that is pretty cool i'll, I'll give you a pat on the back for that uh but i like the gadget peter parker in here and like you said i didn't even think about it that that's the only way we're going to understand him building these web shooters later on uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it's cool they interpret him that way. The stuff with the dad, it's still interesting here. It's just again disappointing to me that it never really went very far in this because we talked about off air about how quickly we'll get to it in a second, how quickly he actually does get his powers in this. It's even more crazy how quickly they get into this untold story and then basically just leave you hanging for the rest of the movie. But 
the idea that you know he he finds this hidden compartment in there you know at least it has you intrigued in the story very early so from here we move to oscorp haven't we missed this place looks a little bit different since the last time we saw it it's no longer a fancy old school looking new york house it's a brand new skyscraper they've they've gotten a bit of extra funding basically uh from the last time we saw it uh peter Rocks up to the counter. Apparently, as we always see in these films and everything, um, the the desk clerk is always not busy enough to always spot the one random person just staring at shit. Um, I mean, there's lots yeah. of people in that lobby. There's not just Peter. And apparently, this you know she can just go excuse me to like one person. Um, he just happens to show up on the day, of course, of enrollment. Although I think we did see him looking that uh, when he found it on Bing before. Um, <laughs> But I do like her line, are you having trouble finding yourself? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he finds a name tag. And what's... Now, it's Guevara or something. That was your intro. Guevara, line. yeah. Guevara. Yeah. Um, gets his name tag, goes up the thing. And, of course, uh, Oscorp just happens to be uh, in the six-day school of companies that just have that looping tape over and over again of, welcome <laughs> to Oscorp, the leader in global technologies. Again, as we talked about in our six-day recap, does this not get incredibly annoying for, like, the oh. people working in that lobby? That would have to repeat over and over again. <laughs> that receptionist says nightmares of this in her sleep. She starts... <laughs> crying out in the middle of the night innovators in modern technology (laughs) (laughs) but like i i mean this is this is just such a movie thing is it not like it's because are there actually companies in the world that do this like welcome to united airlines we haven't dragged (laughs) anyone out of our planes this week that's seven days and counting (laughs) it's just i yeah i guess it would depend on like we understand this is a tour group too yeah of high school kids and this is something that's out of the ordinary. So it's not like people are sitting there in the lobby. It's like, where am I? Welcome to Oscorp. That, that's where I was. Yes. Thank oh. you, anonymous voice from the sky. <laughs> I just, you know, this should be a thing that they should have in every business. Welcome to McDonald's. Here you can get fat and your arteries clogged. Come get a Big Mac today. Uh- <laughs> I want it like in my front door. Welcome to Colin's house. <laughs> Take off your shoes. This is Canada. (laughs) Remember to say sorry and please. Be warned, babies cry a lot here. And Jamie will be looking up sexy men in the background. Enjoy your stay. What are you doing on your phone over there? (laughs) Um, There's an idea. I want this to happen. Yes, you're on to something here. Um, So anyway, uh, Peter joins the group. We meet uh, Dr. Connors. Kirk Connors. Here he is. Again, also looks a little bit different from the last time we saw him. Uh, He's British. He's got no arm. He looks younger. Is it it the same missing arm that Dylan Baker had? I I didn't even bother to look. Oh, look, I I really don't pay that much attention to (laughs) Dylan Baker. Um, It could be. Uh, Again, we're very... High experts on uh, these podcasts. I can hear you Googling it right now. Yeah, that's right. Missing arms. But uh, we meet Reese Iphens for the first time. It's Nigel. (laughs) What was his character in Notting Hill? Spike. There we go. I've just looked it up here in Notting Hill. I don't know if you're a Notting Hill fan, but I mean... No. Oh, come on. Notting Hill's a great movie. Uh, 
Oh, yes. Uh, we, we went over him before, but here he is. He's Dr. Connors. And again, similar to what I think we talked about, was it one of our Smallville episodes when Lionel Luther just happened to be available to give some kids a tour of the facility? Like, he's Dr. Kirk Connors, you know, extremely busy scientist, just available to give some kids a bit of a rundown. <laughs> well, I, I do wonder about that because this is a huge building and, you know, Oscorp has stuff going on everywhere. So I guess it's kind of just like, you know, random uh, scientist in this department on this floor, you know, down the hall, six doors to your right. But what we learned throughout this movie is like this is the most important project in Oscorp and that Norman Osborn's life is basically depending on this. <laughs> yes. So why is he wasting his time with tour groups with teenagers? My bigger question is Gwen Stacy is his head intern mm. as she's introduced in the beginning here. She's like 16, 17 years old. I mean, how did she get this position? And is she the most qualified person there? Well, look, let's be honest. If this was MJ, we'd know how she got the position. But yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that about Gwen because Gwen's well-behaved in this film, as we've already discovered. She's very much... You know, she's got gets rid of Flash pretty quickly, and she's only eyes for Peter. So, um, she must be very smart. We find out, though, isn't she number one in the science class? You mean, you sure? Number one? No, 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 number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's a bit on himself, Dr. Connors, is he not? Uh, I'm the world's most foremost herptologist, or whatever the hell it goes on. Like, who introduces themselves as that? Can I start doing that? I'm the world's foremost podcast host on the amazing Spy. Spider-Man. Like, that's my new wait, introduction. Wait, I think I'm going to fight you for that one. I've at no, least read the comics. No, 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 number two, you number, no, no, number one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I do like his line. What does he say? Like, I'm not a cripple, I'm a scientist. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's obviously going on about how, yeah, they're doing this study, you know, looking for a world without weakness and how fantastic that would be. And what is he What is he asking about? Like, he says, like, oh, you know, how are we going to do this? Nobody says anything except, of course, you know, Peter Parker happens to know it. He knows a lot about zebrafish, apparently. Um, it's kind of like, back to the Sam Raimi ones, how he's, like, what, in love with spiders. Who wouldn't? He's, like, new <laughs> Peter Parker. It's like, zebrafish, who wouldn't? Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's, he's rocking off his knowledge. Connors is impressed. Gwen sees him... No names ever mentioned, like, and who, and you are, oh, he's Midtown Science's brightest and best. <laughs> like, ooh, is Dr. Connors impressed by that? Can't you read? My name is Guevara. Yeah. I do. And, of course, we do get that scene in the background, don't we, of the real Guevara getting dragged out down in the lobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I so want that scene. Like, he just walks in there. It's like, hi, I'm Mr. Guevara. <laughs> like, in, in seriousness, like, why do they not believe Guevara? And, like, oh, it's all right. Somebody's just coming and taking a name tag. That must be him. <laughs> like, security well, at Oscorp plus, is brilliant. <laughs> I guess, at the same time, this tour starts seconds after peter gets there and there's more than one tag there's like a half dozen tags left there so if this is such a prestigious position come meet renowned scientist kurt connors <laughs> and his 
16-year-old intern, Gwen Stacy. <laughs> Why are there like a half dozen people that didn't even bother to show up to this? Like, this doesn't <laughs> exactly. exactly sell Kirk Connors as being this world-renowned scientist. And why doesn't Mr. Guevara just go, oh, yeah, I'm Jennifer Smith. Uh, here's my name tag. <laughs> um, <laughs> just pop upstairs. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, we, so we get Gwen obviously confronting Peter. What does he say? Like, I snuck him because I love science. Um, why does she let I him stay? <laughs> well, she does say, we'll talk about this later or something like that. She goes very mom on him. Yeah. Like, especially when she give me the badge. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but it's just, it's interesting. Uh, from here, basically, Peter does sneak off because he's trying to find, obviously, the symbol that he saw in his dad's uh, notes before. He bumps into, um, what's his name from Jurassic World? Uh, what was his name in Jurassic yeah. World, Imrani? Uh, but he's, the actor's name is Irfan Khan. Um, yeah. Who oh, I forgot was I in this movie. Him. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I. Completely forgot he was in this film. But um, I was like, oh my god, it's, it's the Dr. Hammond's replacement in Jurassic World. Um, but like, I love it when he bumps into him. He knocks down the files and he just happens to pick up the files and stare at them. And the guy doesn't say a thing. It's like he's some little random kid who's just staring at classified documents. It's like, mm, don't stare at them. And he just grabs them and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> Like, is that somebody bumps into Donald Trump in the hallways, <laughs> nuclear code, stares at them, <laughs> gets up, does Trump just go, hmm? No, he'd probably go, worst well, bump ever, I've bumped into people better than that, that was sad. Uh, if if this was Trump and his name was Guevara, we know that <laughs> some more sinister <laughs> stuff might be going down. <laughs> Build a wall. Um... <laughs> Anyway, so from this point on, Parker follows. Uh, so, this, what's his name? Rajit. Is that his name? Rajit. The yeah, uh, Rafa. D- Jurassic World guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know him more from Life. Of, I don't. Did you ever see Life of Pi? Oh uh, no, no. All right, watch Life of Pi because he plays the older version of the main character. And what was hilarious to me, and this is jumping ahead to a few scenes later, but when he's talking to Connors and he repeatedly refers to Richard Parker. <laughs> In the movie Life of Pi, the tiger that his character is stranded with on a boat is named Richard Parker. So it's just hilarious to hear this guy two movies in a row going on and on about Richard Parker. Is, One case it's a man, and the other case it's a tiger. Is that why they hired him, perhaps? Maybe they saw Life of Pi. They just like, love the way he delivered Richard Parker. I've never heard someone say the line, Richard Parker, so believable before. Get him in this movie! <laughs> he, is, he is our scientist man who will need... Um, <laughs> Doesn't really play a whole lot in this plot. (laughs) I I mean, we don't have that many scenes to talk about him because he's kind of thrown away as a background character. But if you think about it, he really is the only true villain in this movie that Mm. doesn't have any good motive. That is that is very true. That is a good point. Uh, he does kind of just. There's actually it seems to be a running thing in this film. There's at least one other occasion which we'll get to where just something just gets forgotten about so quickly. Um, and like I mean, he's the first point of this because yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, he's only in it for a couple of scenes, as Colin said. And the last we see of him, he's going to be dangling off a bridge. So mm. um, the veterans at the hospital are still waiting for their surprise guests at night. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so Peter looks at the files, he follows him, he gets basically into a room where there's a variety of different things happening, all these weird, wonderful experiments happening. He gets into another room and there's all these webs and spiders crawling around. And of course, you know, you would touch it. Why not? Um, 
It reminds me, again, apparently connecting everything to Jurassic Park here. It reminds me of the scene in The Lost World when, uh, when Malcolm and all that stumble across Sarah Harding on the island and she reaches in to touch the Stegosaurus and Malcolm's like, why did you have to touch it? Why can't you just look? Why did you have to just reach out and touch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just reminds me of that. And of course he touches it. Everything stops. He puts his hand to his face like, oh shit. Um, and then a bunch of spiders fall onto him, and he's the calmest person in the world with a bunch of spiders crawling on him. Peter, what the hell is wrong with you? You've got spiders crawling on you. <laughs> and they've been talking about, like, genetic crossbreeding of animals out there. Like, you don't know if this is just a spider. It could be, like, like I don't know if you ever saw Napoleon Dynamite. This could be, like, mm. a liger or something. Like, yes. half tiger, half lion, and, you know, masquerading as a spider. This could be, like, the most deadly thing on the planet. Exactly. And once again, similar to the Sam Raimi films, when he gets bitten... Uh, which we'll get to a little bit more in a second. I guess at least, uh, you know, Andrew Garfield has the ability to, I was going to say Google it, but no, Bing it. Bing um, it. <laughs> whereas <laughs> Tobey Maguire just passes out. Um, but yeah, so he, he sneaks out, Gwen catches him, give me your badge. Um, and then he leaves. Uh, we'll get back to him in just a second. Because um, here we go, he's been bitten. As you said, it's kind of, is it is it in terms of getting bitten Though, like, I know he sort of his powers are revealed a little bit sooner than sort of in the Sam Raimi ones, but we're probably about the same. I feel like Tobey Maguire got bitten quite soon in in the original Spider Man too. Yeah, uh, I think he might have been bitten a little bit sooner, um, but the powers do come a little bit quicker. And this, like, it's funny because before we started recording this, you were saying how long it was before we really get to see him as Spider Man and everything, and. I think for the most part, I'm, I haven't done an exact timestamp on all of these, but for the most part, every checkpoint of this movie, you know, bitten by the spider, uh, starts to test out his powers, Uncle Ben dies, what? you know, becomes Spider-Man. Sorry, spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> if you intended to listen to the first uh, hour of this podcast and then watch <laughs> the movie and listen to the second half. But it's it's more or less exactly at the same marks that we got in the original Spider-Man movie. Uh, what I find interesting is that for all these scenes here, it, they almost feel very rushed to me. And the same thing happens later on when he does turn into Spider-Man. And I don't know if that was intentional because we are just watching an origin story that was told only 10 years earlier. And that is still very fresh because the movie, was, the original movie was still popular. I mean, people were still discovering it, you know, younger people in 2012. So, I mean, this whole the spiders falling all over him, uh, the train scene and all that. It just, it feels like it goes by almost too quickly, but maybe that's the point because audiences were going to get bored if they're just like, all right, now we got to wait for him to crawl for the first time <laughs> and use his webs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just before we get to the train bit, though, obviously we get that scene uh, with, uh, with our favorite throwaway evil scientist, Rajit Ratha. Um, basically we find out, yeah, Norman Osborn's dying. He's talking to Connors and apparently Connors is the only one that can save Norman Osborn. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, Connors is too busy talking to kids to actually give a shit about this project. Um, I'm just sad that Willem Dafoe's dying again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, no, he was already dead. Um, but you know, it's, I guess it's a different, different way of doing it. Um, and I guess really putting context as to why Connors is is doing all this sort of uh, what splicing of animals and whatever mm-hmm. the hell this thing is called. Does it even have a name? What the fuck he's doing with these lizards, or is it just him? You know, trying to grow an arm. <laughs> but the thing that confuses me, and like again, I'm jumping ahead here to the second one, but like he's trying to grow an arm. So this is what meant to help Norman Osborn. Like 
from memory in the second film, Norman Osborn isn't missing any limbs, right? He's got some genetic yeah. condition that you just, is always going to kill them anyway. So what's his research got to do with saving Norman well, Osborn? I, I think that maybe this is stretching it a bit, but I think the idea is that this particular experiment is could we cross the greatest power that a lizard has with another species that if they can do that, well, now let's try it with a different animal. So maybe there's some other animal out there that would have something that could heal Norman Osborn. Like it. Maybe, it's a, maybe it's a koala or a goose or something. <laughs> <laughs> the magical powers of koalas and geese. That's again a Napoleon. That will save. Yeah. What is Norman Osborn's sickness? Do we even find that out in oh, yeah, Spider-Man it's got, Yeah, from memory, it's got a name. Um I, look, I don't know if it's McGregor a real... syndrome or something? Yeah, look, I don't know if it's a real thing or not. I didn't sort of go that far once. We'll find out for the next one. That's something we will research. Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Napoleon Dynamite style with the liger. What do we have? A, a coos or a goala? Coos <laughs> uh, sounds a bit inappropriate. A, a koala, what would it be? <laughs> and the, in, in, in the entire world, when you come up to, you've got the ability to mix two animals together. Is anybody really calling out for a goose-koala hybrid? <laughs> hey, we are a show that combines Canadian and Australian listeners. <laughs> If there is one show that where our viewers or <laughs> listeners demand it, it would be the Oz Network. Look, I would honestly rather, if we're going for that route, like, a, I don't know, a platypus and a moose. Um, <laughs> a ploose. A moosepus? A moosepus. A, moose-a-puss. <laughs> a kangaroo and a beaver. Uh, <laughs> Kiva, bangaroo. Uh, <laughs> bangaroo. <laughs> a bear and a, I don't know, a, an echidna. <laughs> uh, what? Did you make that one up? Well, look at what, what an echidna. You've never heard of a echidna before? Never heard of it. Seriously? Oh, Google it. You know what an echidna is if you saw it. Come on. Okay, tell me how to spell it first. E C H I D N A. It's kind of like Australia's porcupine or hedgehog. It's got you know the spikes. Well, I'm not from there. Australia, so Aren't I you? don't know the oh, echidna. Shit. <laughs> well, interesting okay, fact. So- Interesting fact, echidnas and platypus are the world's only two egg-laying mammals. They're monotremes. There you go. You just learn a fact here on the Oz Network. <laughs> so, uh, uh, a nanda <laughs> an echidopus. Some of these words just don't combine well. <laughs> anyway, that's another episode, perhaps. I want to take, if that's, that's like one of your deadly Australian animals, Canada will put up the mosquito because our <laughs> mosquitoes, especially in Winnipeg, are deadly. I want a mosquito puss. Uh, well, uh, just to clarify, echidna is not deadly. Uh, <laughs> the worst <laughs> that echidna will deadly. do is uh, give you a puncture if you run over one on the highway. <laughs> They're not attacking you. A platypus is actually quite dangerous. They've got um, barbs underneath. I think it's the males have like this spike underneath one of their legs, which they attack if they are threatened. Um, which, I mean, look, seeing a platypus li- uh, live, uh, well, in the flesh is very rare. <laughs> live, in concert, platypus. <laughs> um, <laughs> one night here. only. <laughs> it's a big thing here, seeing platypus. Um, <laughs> seeing them in the wild is actually quite rare because they're very timid animals. But, uh, yeah, you can get attacked by a platypus. Not an echidna, though. Well, you probably could, but I've never heard of that. So... <laughs> Do either of those animals hold the key to saving Norman Osborn? Well, they from... could. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> I was thinking, like, Echidna, we should just name that the disease that he has. Like, <laughs> Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn Suffer has a kidna. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, you've got a kidna. <laughs> no, not a kidna. 
participate in 2007. Echidna Ice Bucket Challenge <laughs> to raise awareness. Here at the Echidna Foundation, we are striving <laughs> to raise funds to block out Echidna from society. <laughs> With one donation, you too can stop Echidna. <laughs> anyway. All right, we named a disease here. We've accomplished one thing on this podcast. Hope I don't catch Echidna by the end of this episode. Um, we. Yeah. <laughs> We are on the train. Uh, yay. <laughs> Pete, Pete has passed out on the train. He's turned into a bit of a drug addict. Uh, can I just point out, like, we'll get to when he comes home. Like, he seriously does turn into a drug addict in a lot of this film. Just the way he acts, like, around, you know, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Um, all right, we'll get to that. We're going to get to this, Steve. First. He wakes up and... Uh, what do we have douchey guy on train putting a beer bottle on his head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, but it's cool how we get, yeah, the, the slow-mo water drip, similar obviously to like the spitball and all that in, in the original Spider-Man. But, you know, this slow-motion water drip and sort of he's, the senses and he jumps up onto the ceiling of the train. Um, now, look, we went over this, I think, in the first few Spider-Mans, how... You know, when he gets his mask removed, if this was, what, 2017, there would be cell phones taking pictures of this. This is 2012 now. People have cell phones. So why is nobody getting their phone out with his kid on the ceiling? Like, that's a moment you get your phone out and take a photo. That's one of these moments where people have no clue or no, you know, thought for anything else except for getting their phone out and taking a picture. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a bit of an awkward situation. You have this... Uh, teenager fighting with uh, some type of douchey guy, as you said, and ripping the clothes off of his girlfriend. Um, (laughs) I'd probably get beaten up by this guy if I started taking my camera out, taping his shirtless girlfriend (laughs) and this teenage kid. Uh, But yeah, maybe it's just because it's an awkward situation, or maybe none of these people actually have cell phones. Who knows? Now, I've got to point out. This could be the one part. Got to point out, you're gonna. I know as soon as I say what I'm about to say, I'm gonna hear an oh from you in the background when I say this. The actress who is said girlfriend who gets her shirt ripped off that is Tia. Uh, did you see nipples? No, 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 this is nothing. I wish I did. When you, you'll hear what I say here, this is Tia Tahada or Texada, I don't know how her last name is pronounced, but she is Sergeant Maritza Cruz in Third Watch. She is one of the major characters in the latter half of Third Watch, one of the best characters in that show. And he's clearly, as we're discovering in our Third Watch rewatch available via the Oz Network, uh, there seems to be a curse of Third Watch that you can't go on to do bigger things after this show is finished, with the exception of a couple of people. So here she is, uh, a good seven years after being one of the stars of a network TV show, playing random train passenger getting her shirt ripped off. <laughs> but... Hold on a second. Uh, it says her role in The Amazing Spider-Man was actually a long stunt scene, but was cut down due to time restraints. What stunt was there here? <laughs> like, with her in her bra, <laughs> that this extended for like an extra minute and a half. I couldn't tell you. Um, it's actually, what's really funny is that she actually had a similarish role, like a very small role in, remember the movie Phone Booth? Um, yeah. Yes, I remember it, but she had a similar role where she gets her shirt taken <laughs> off by a teenager on a subway? Yeah, it was very similar. I mean, like, in Phone Booth, she was like one of the, I think, the prostitutes that come and knock up on the door of the Phone Booth with Colin Farrell and kind of is only in it for like Pretty five seconds. Very similar, scene, right? You know, <laughs> bras, prostitutes, you know. 
I assume they're similar. Um, I remember when I think I saw this in the cinema, I just lost my shit. I'm so, like, I don't give a shit that Peter Parker's, like, on the ceiling and, like, ripping poles off with his spidey grip. I'm like, it's Sergeant Cruz! <laughs> so, anyway, can we it- get her on the show? Um, because this is the only time she's been recognized <laughs> since uh, <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> in all seriousness, we are obviously going to be planning to reach out to a lot of the third watch actors, and she's very much high on our list because Brandy, who does the third watch ones, she's a huge fan of her too. Like, she's a character in the show that you can't not avoid because basically, yeah, the second oh, half of, of the season, she becomes pretty much one of, if not the main character. Um, so she's, inc- she's incredible. She's really a really good actress as well. Just, you know, putting third watch aside as an actress, she's really good. So yeah, if we get her on, uh, which we hope to, we will definitely spend a good five minutes talking about what was cut from the amazing Spider-Man when yeah. you were meant to be in a, a stunt sequence. And how did that what relate to your role in phone booth? Um, aside from, uh, Tia Texacana or whatever, uh, <laughs> Texacan? <laughs> Her cameo here as uh, the famous shirtless woman on a subway. Sheila. Uh, do you like this scene as a way to reveal the power? Mm. I am, um, excuse me, I was just swallowing water. I was getting a bit uh, dry mouthed when talking about Sergeant Cruz. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> I like, it's interesting because I, I kind of, I look at these scenes and often say like, oh, you know, do I like these, comparing these to the Tobey Maguire ones and sort of all that. But it's done so differently that I do actually like it because um, I like the way sort of when he's in this fight, he just keeps apologising. He's Canadian at that point. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> he's punching everyone and sort of, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, no, board, not my man. Uh, no, 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 board, not my man. Not no my man. man, not my board. <laughs> board, not my man. <laughs> I've got a kidna. I'm, I'm losing speech. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. The first signs of a kidna. You become dyslexic. Yes. Yes, to answer your question, Colin Hilding, I do. Um, my, my only point I'll quickly add that I just don't understand. Why does everybody start bashing him up like attempting to? Like he's just made one mistake. And does, ev- does everybody in this carriage know everyone? Is that why they're all ganging up on him? Or all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, this kid is just bashing people. We better bash him too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I do like it, yes. I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I agree with what you're saying because the one thing that Mark Webb did that was very smart, this, I talk about how a lot of these scenes that's just duplicating what we've seen the first time around, this is like the flash fight scene in the, the Sam Raimi part one. Um, but... They rush through these scenes, that's what I feel, because they don't want to dwell on it and make you feel like we're just telling the same story over and over again. Uh, I would have liked this to have played a little bit longer instead of just jump in and here's what happens and then he's gone. But what Mark Webb does that's really smart to differentiate this from the originals is is how he shows his powers differently. And we see a lot more like him sticking on the ceiling. There's a lot of that in this movie or him when he's in his room just hanging upside down from the corner and i really like seeing more of the spider aspect which i guess in part is because we don't have the organic web shooters in this we see a lot more of those powers because we have to wait to see him actually uh, develop the web shooters himself yeah and i I feel it's kind of given it's so long till we see him as spider-man in this film there's a lot more of a build-up about him I guess, learning what to do with these powers, whereas I guess kind of in Sam mm. Raimi with, like, Tobey Maguire, it's kind of, it's it's done differently, but it's done pretty quickly. It's like, oh, cool, I'm buff, I've got a big dick, 
Um, I can I can move out of the way quickly. Oh, I can climb a wall. Oh, I can shoot web. Oh, why not make a costume and become Spider-Man? So whereas like this time around, it's like, you know, there's a bit more of a build-up to it, which it's different. I do like it. I mean, it's, it's kind of, if you had to choose between the two, I don't even, I haven't thought about that much, but like I, I just like the way they do it differently considering that, yeah, we, we got this story 10 years ago. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever felt weirdly watching this film. And as much as I say, I like the Tobey Maguire ones better. I still don't feel like you roll your eyes too much. This one going, Oh God, we've already seen this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's done in a yeah. way that you kind of, it's almost fresh. So there is one scene. I roll my eyes out a little bit. We'll get to that pretty soon. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so he goes home, uh, Aunt May and Uncle Ben are wondering where the hell he's been. Now this is, again, going back to what I was saying before, how do they not assume he's on drugs? Is Peter Parker just that such a good boy that, oh no, he would never be on drugs? Because like, he's got all the signs, he's coming home late, he's twitchy, he's getting all this food, uh, Okay, he, he's sweaty, um, he's on drugs, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> I had the exact opposite reaction to this. When she asks him, you know, is it is it drinking drugs? And Ben's like, I don't think so. Ben's the smart one there because he was a teenage boy at one point, and I can't believe that you forgot being a teenage boy. We were all sweaty twenty four seven when we were his age. Uh, we were twitchy twenty four seven when we were his age, and we were eating twenty four seven when we were his age. This is a teenage boy. This is him on a Tuesday afternoon uh, coming home from school. This is nothing out of the ordinary. So Uncle Ben is watching this, and he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah, that's just him. This age. This is what I was like. I was shoving all that food in my face. I was eating hamburger helper raw, <laughs> whatever it would be. This is just a regular teenage boy. I, it's I a fun to, scene. Something to admit, I, I Colin. Colin, I'm sorry. I have to admit this. I grew up as a teenage girl, so uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> you were the one. Oh, bored. Don't touch my man. <laughs> That, that's that's where my uh, you know middle aged gay man tasting music comes from. Yeah. Um, you know. uh, but seriously, I, I I mean I get what you're saying because it is weird, but at the same time, like every teenage boy has been in this position doing this exact same thing without being under the influence in any way whatsoever. I do like it. What does he say? Like, oh, I'm insensitive and irresponsible. <laughs> He's just basically... <laughs> like, I, I completely agree with what you said before about his chemistry, even just with, uh, you know, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so good. It's, you believe that these, you know, uh, they're all related, if you know what I mean. And it's it's done so well. Like, not to say that, you know, Rosemary Harris and Tobey Maguire didn't have chemistry, but it was different. It was, it, oh. it was, it was, you know, I know you it love Rosemary boring. Harris. But um, <laughs> it's done differently. I love it when he's like eating the meatloaf and he's like, oh, mm, this is good. And then he just like grabs all that food. And like, yeah, like I was noticing, like he's just got like frozen macaroni and cheese. And that's when even they say, like, <laughs> did he just take the frozen macaroni and cheese? Um, and of that's course. I when he catches the fly with his bear. Yes. <laughs> it's just a fly, Peter. Um, but the best bit, of course, in this whole sequence is like, Oh, what's he really love the meatloaf? Yeah, nobody loves your meatloaf. <laughs> what does he say? We made for 37 years. How many meatloafs have I made? You could never tell me that you didn't like my meatloaf. <laughs> Such a good I think we're establishing at this point that if uh, spoiler alert, Ben doesn't die, uh, they're on the ro- they're on the path to divorce. <laughs> Can't believe you don't like my meatloaf. Fuck you. 
Like he can't fix anything in the basement. As we learn, he doesn't have a proper education. Uh, he relies on a, a young boy to pick up his wife, and she ends up roaming the streets on her own. I mean, this is the world's worst husband, and he hates her meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. All the men in the Parker family are dicks. All right. Um, yeah. I also wonder: is this um, uh, just like a Parker? Uh, household staple because even in Spider-Man 1 the only meal we see them eat is when he leaves in the nose meatloaf and veggies in the fridge or whatever (laughs) this is the only thing they eat like I can understand 37 years she's only feeding them one thing I mean what are you going to do complain you're going to go hungry if you don't eat that meatloaf Look, it's it's to me, it's a very American thing, meatloaf. Like, I mean, you look, I'm not saying we don't have meatloaf in Australia, but it's not a common dish. Like, it's something that you'll have once a year, maybe. But like, you know, it's outside of. <laughs> <laughs> you said once a year. I just imagine this is like your turkey or your ha- this is your Christmas meal. What are we having? We're having meatloaf, guys. <laughs> Real meat in it? In a loaf shape? <laughs> are you serious? Did we win the lottery? It's like a it's like a bat out of hell. Um haha, we're gonna make that meatloaf joke. Um, <laughs> but, um Do we have frozen macaroni in it? <laughs> Australians are... Don't go too crazy there, Peter. We're amazed by food, you know, because, you know, if you survive the day by not getting killed by wild echidnas and platypus, um, (laughs) you're totally excited that you get to eat at the end of the day. Meatloaf? I survived another day? (laughs) It's meatloaf for dinner tonight, Ben. It's like... Is it January the 3rd already? <laughs> seemed like it was just last year we had meatloaf on January the 3rd. Wow. How quickly the year goes by. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, all right, so he's in his room. <laughs> he, um... <laughs> See, this is the problem. When we're basically recapping an origin story that we recapped three weeks ago, we have to come up with conversations on fake diseases and the special special ones here meals of meatloaf i would say we did like edit these spider-man episodes just the bits like do a do a colin hilding here you know edit all the crap bits out and just keep in the bits that you would just just edit everything out that doesn't revolve around talking about the story instead of going over three and a half hours i probably go for like 50 minutes yeah exactly <laughs> You know, edit Ben going off about MJ here, Colin going off about old ladies here. Uh, oh, what a quick episode. Yay. Hashtag what would we have been left with without Mary Jane and oh. Aunt May trashing in the original trilogy? We would have been left with Meatloaf and Echidna. And yet here we are, what, like a good hour and a half into this one, and we seem to not hate anyone in this film so far. So, um... There you go. Um, but so he discovers his spider still dangling on his neck. Now, how long has that spider been there for? Is he not, you know, did it not fall off when he's hanging on the ceiling and bashing up people on the train? Like, come on. Yeah, it's been crawling inside his jacket the whole time. <laughs> I mean, the spider must have found a better place to go after this. Uh, I do like that uh, it's still attached to the original web, too, because... I believe spiders use their webs, A, to catch things, but also, like, to lower themselves down. If you're lowering from the ceiling, you're using a web. So what, what is the spider lowering itself into from <laughs> the back of his neck? <laughs> wow. Where it's like, you know what, I just, need a, I just need a little bit of leverage to get down, you know, this three and a half feet here. Uh, it doesn't really make sense why the web's on there, but it is fun that we get the spider in this. And uh, from some of the stuff we get to see later on where he's taking it to... Gwen and everything, it reminded me of uh, the uh, um, Symbiote and Kirk Connors in the first one, where you get a little sample 
of this thing that transforms you. Well, the thing actually, which is we never discussed during the first Spider-Man, is like the spider bites Peter Parker and then it just kind of crawls away on the floor. So yeah. do they catch and it this bit spo- six more? Yeah. The original bit six more students on the way out. Well, that's, that, that's <laughs> my thing. Like, yeah, like, do they catch it or are there six other Spider-Mans calling around New York City yeah, at that point? Whereas, exactly. whereas this one, like, again, kind of spoilerish looking ahead to the second one, we obviously learn there's a bit more to why Peter Parker reacts this way because it's mm. kind of the backstory there. So it's kind of... Untold story? Oh, that's right. Sorry, not the backstory. The untold story. Good good yeah. call there, Colin Hilding. Um, but yeah, I just think about the first Spider-Man, like, you're talking about how they run out of plot points, you know, after the third one, they've got tons of plot points, like, the untold story about this radioactive spider that kept biting all the employees at Oscorp. (laughs) They were just biting, 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 when a bitter rat, spider rat. The spider was the one suffering from echidna. That was the real <laughs> untold story. What happens when a spider bites an echidna? Uh, <laughs> spiky Spider-Man coming to cinemas this fall. Um, but we get this cool little scene the next, um, you know, he's waking up, destroying alarms, oh. toothpaste going everywhere, destroying plumbing. Um, it's kind of cool. Before we move on, because I know I will forget about this because I've lost my notes for this section of the movie. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say, I there's a lot of things I don't like about Peter Parker in this. Not that I don't like Peter Parker, just the fact that it's missing kind of that geekiness. Uh, it's missing him being kind of a wimp. The one thing I do like is that they make him a teenage boy in this. Because he certainly doesn't look like a teenage boy. But he has these teenage boy attributes like, you know, eating nonstop and being sweaty and all that. (laughs) But even just the little things, like it's not just that he has this incredible strength. It doesn't matter how good he is at school. He wakes up in the morning and he's just slamming that alarm clock. I don't want to get up, you know, and he's rushing to get ready. Sloppy in the way he gets ready in the morning. The toothpaste goes all over. He's like, eh, let me just wipe it with my hand. (laughs) I like that. There's a bit of this teenage boy slobness with him. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely agree. And, I think Andrew Garfield does it well, just like with a lot of his facial reactions and his reactions to kind of things that are happening around him. Uh, the, the bit when he's like sitting on the bed there with his toothbrush and he's just kind of like twitching and like looking around. Like, I love that. That looks so cool. Yeah. Um, but notice how we never get a scene of him looking down his pants to see how big his penis is. Uh, because let's be honest, Andrew Garfield already has a big penis. So um, Yeah, that's because he had nothing to worry about. <laughs> exactly. Tobey Maguire, you know, you can imagine he's got a bit of a small pe- Peter Pecker. Uh, whereas... <laughs> Andrew Garfield, he's he's already well equipped there, ladies. He's got you're a welcome. hacksaw ridge. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Emma Stone was so in love with him. She already had an Academy Award at that point, if you know what I'm saying. Um, that was her lala yeah. <laughs> You mean Moonlight. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> the joke never gets old. I thought it would be dead by now, but it's still funny. Uh, if you're listening to this in like 2020, it's not funny by then. You but don't in understand it all. 2017, still funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, echidna is a real disease 20 years from now, and they're just like ashamed at us. Ben and like, Colin, dare they? you're laughing at it. That's terrible. You're not. You're not nice people. Uh, <laughs> so um, that's not a Canadian thing. <laughs> oh, but by 2020, Canadians are rude. Uh, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's so Canadian of you. <laughs> um, so, you know, whenever you're twitching on a bed and, uh, you know, destroying things, the first thing you need to do is jump on your computer and Google it. I mean, Bing it. Bing um, it. <laughs> it doesn't sound the same. I'm going to Bing it. <laughs> 
Most like, okay, can I just point out, this is a movie about a teenage boy getting bitten by a radioactive spider going after a man who turns into a giant lizard. The most unrealistic <laughs> thing in this movie is the fact that he uses Bing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, that Spider-Man <laughs> shit and giant lizard, that could happen, all right? Teenage boys do not use Bing. <laughs> You might as well be, like, uh, spying on uh, Gwen's MySpace profile. (laughs) (laughs) Using AOL and... (laughs) You've got mail. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he he does the thing that Tobey Maguire doesn't do. He at least looks up what the dangers are. Now, I'm sorry. Again, I'm looking at this as an Australian. I think I went into this saying the same in Spider-Man. You don't just Google Spider-Bite and go, oh, okay, that's about, that's pretty bad, but at least I can climb on ceilings and shit. This could kill you, Peter Parker, all right? If if Spider-Man was Australian, this is a different movie. (laughs) Yeah, but all the pictures come up with, like, death and, you know, disfigurement and amputation, uh, all these terrible things. I also find it funny, there's another moment later on, I'll bring it up later, where Peter comes across as really dumb for a guy that can solve these algorithms on his own, you know, and do these incredible things, build these web shooters with minimal research, and meanwhile, he's like, I got bit by a spider. What does spider bite do? Like, (laughs) he should know these things. Like, he's got an encyclopedia there or something. I really would, like... (laughs) There's just so many things here that you're absolutely right. Like, for such a smart kid... Like, okay, I'm going to... This is going to be a weird way of putting in a, a explanation here. Imagine if he sleeps with Gwen Stacy, and then she turns around and says, I have AIDS. And then he's like, what does AIDS do? <laughs> like, like it's See, bad, Peter. Like, getting bitten by a spider, not good, all right? Okay. You need to get medical treatment um, for that shit. <laughs> my example was going to be that he's bigging, you know, meatloaf recipes, but of course... <laughs> You had to go there. You could have said echidna. <laughs> now, now let's be honest. If this was you and Jamie, you would have edited that out. But yeah, you're just like, oh, that's just Ben. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there are higher standards yeah. <laughs> when you're not in an episode. I can't be married to a woman who would bring that joke up, but I can associate with an Australian who brings <laughs> up that. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> and 20 years from now, Australians are the nice ones. Like, I can't believe an Australian would say something like that. Australians never swear. Australians never drink alcohol. The echidna's taking over me. This movie isn't even funny. There's nothing wrong with this. We're laughing at our own jokes. (laughs) Even if we have to mock deadly diseases, we will make you laugh at Amazing Spider-Man. I'm sure all the other film podcasts out there doing Spider-Man at no point bring up an AIDS joke. And even if they did, then move on. Oh, we should have said that. No, five minutes later, he's just Ben laughing at his own AIDS joke. Good on him. Uh (laughs) Please move on. <laughs> All right. Um, Got a little echidna in your throat there. Dude, it's prickly and spiky. 
It's one of the many side effects of having a kidna. Um, so he's up on the roof doing homework. I like that scene. I just wanted to point that out. It's just, you know, chilling. <laughs> ben Parker. What are you doing up there? Just my homework. Um, <laughs> but he's obviously still researching this symbol and, you know, sees Connor's book. And so, of course, as always is the case with, you know, renowned scientists who are very important you can just clearly find their address on Bing because here he is at his house. <laughs> uh, so he goes over to Connor's house. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, Richard Parker's son. Oh, shock! Come on in, and you know, just we hear a little bit about the fact that they were working on spiders. Um, and he comes up with an algorithm that basically solves everything. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. extraordinary. How did you come up with this? How, how do scientists, like, you know, really smart people, because I'm not one of them, clearly, I make age jokes, but like, <laughs> they come up, they come up with like this, like algorithm or whatever the hell you call it. And straight away he looks at him and goes, that's extraordinary. How did you come up with that? Like, if that's always there, if that's always ready to be discovered, how does Dr. Connors not come up? I don't get it. Like, how do... Scientists outsmart each other in these things. Oh, you're asking me? I don't know. You're smarter than I am. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah, I've got no answer for that question. I had really contemplated that deeply. (laughs) One thing, actually, I I keep noticing with Connors when he's with Parker, and again, (laughs) if Jamie came up with this next thing, uh, you would edit this out. This uh, this isn't that bad. Don't worry. I'm not going on the AIDS route or 9-11 jokes. But, like, look at at his face. Reese Iphen just has this stare at Parker like he just wants to bone him. I swear he is, like, attracted to Peter Parker. Just his admiration look looks too creepy to me. Me. Again, am I just being sick for thinking that? But, like, go back and watch every scene with Dr. Connors on screen with Parker, and he's, like, listening to him, how amazing. It's like, oh, 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 come over to my house, and oh, oh, oh. Like, and then he says, like, what are you doing after school? Want to come to the office? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't interpret it that way. Uh- <laughs> of course, I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> you know I would in any, in any uh, sequence like that. Um, I don't know if you, you have know, anything to add. There's not really a whole lot to talk about in this sequence here. I mean, no. we get lots of stuttering Peter and he wants to ask permission if he can use his notepad. I I just want to talk a little bit about Kirk Connors. I don't know if it is an issue with re-siphons or if it's an issue with the way the character is written, but I just find him kind of boring in this movie. And, uh, you know, I hate to say that because I love him in The Replacements and... Uh, he did a really great movie with, if I know I recommended it to you before, with uh, Daniel Craig uh, called Enduring Love, where he was uh, obsessed with Daniel Craig. Oh, well, I mean, look, that's uh, just a movie about everyone. Uh. I know. It, it, it felt very Ben Waterworth when I was watching it. But, uh, Is he shirtless? No, I mean, he's a great ger- uh, Daniel Craig or Reese Both? <laughs> you know, does it matter? Does it matter, but, Colin? I really do like him as an actor, and I was excited when he was cast in this. It seemed like it, it would make sense for him to be Kurt Connors, but I don't know. There's just something kind of boring about him, and maybe it's just these scenes. There's not a lot for him to play off of. I think it's also that we don't get a full backstory with his character. We kind of just are jumping into this guy with one arm, and you know his family's not there for whatever reason. You have like these nice scenes later on where he's crying and all that, but we don't get enough of it here, and I think it would have been better to see him maybe like a desperate scientist. This is basically the section where I critique how they could have written the villains better, um, but I, I like the way they did this. I just don't like the fact that... 
funny because I was criticizing the other ones because they made the villains too sympathetic. In a way, I want him to be more sympathetic for Lizard because we don't get why he's so emotional later on other than I finally have my arm back. If we saw him as a desperate scientist, I think the character would have had a little bit more of an impact. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that because it kind of only seems he becomes desperate when he's like having his hand forced, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, Because (laughs) it's, yeah, it's it's kind of like you would assume that he would want to, you know, if he's that desperate to have his arm back, why doesn't he just do this? Like, as soon as he's got the potential, as soon as Peter has, like, you know, discovered the, the truth behind this, he should be, like, straight away, like, holy fuck, let's do this. Um, rather than, oh, we're shutting you down. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, yeah, I, I haven't really looked at it that way. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like, I, as I said, I kind of went into this not knowing, and kind of when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, you know. But um, it's really the first serious role I think I've ever seen Reese Iphens play, and I kind of enjoyed it. But I can kind of see what you're saying about how it's, it is a bit bland, it's a bit boring, um, and again, going off my vast knowledge of the comic books, I didn't know if that was just him, um, or, yeah, but uh, clearly he just wants to bone Peter, that's that's my thing, that's why he ends up turning <laughs> lizard and getting angry, you wouldn't come after school anymore! Uh, <laughs> don't well, take that I'm the wrong way, Colin. Uh, <laughs> from Ben's point of view and see if any of this is justified. I get I get creepy pedo vibes. Colin gets boring vibes. All right, that's the differences <laughs> between um, between our personalities. Um, so uh, we're back at school and Peter's on a basketball court. Why is he there in the first place? Like, why is Parker hanging around a basketball court? <laughs> is that was a, he? I'm trying to even picture where he was in this. I can picture the girl trying to work on the sign. Was he doing like his homework or something up in the rafters? Maybe. Seems like a weird place to do it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we've got Flash playing basketball. Uh, maybe this is just going back to, you know, him and Harry in spite of We tried out for the basketball team of our city. <laughs> so, you know. Um, I love I that girl. That when we saw it. Yeah. I love that girl. Oh, you did that on purpose. How on earth could he do that on purpose? <laughs> I, I just want to know, in what world is that on purpose? He, like, what, misses the shot or however it happens and it rolls backwards. Like, he's not fucking Michael Jordan or LeBron James, weird geeky girl. Like, get over yourself. Well, yeah, Michael Jordan and LeBron James would have sunk that basket. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Um, but uh, we get this great scene, though, where... It's Peter just being a douche now to flash with the ball. Come and get it. Come and get it. Um, and then it turns into, bring it, Parker. Um, just as a basketball fan, Peter Parker, totally travel, all right? No basket. <laughs> you got to bounce that ball, Peter. I want to do that. It's like, travel, Parker. Let's totally travel. Travel. No basket. Doesn't count. Um, jumps up, smashes it. We get cheerleaders. Yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to, had to point that out. Just on a quick note, I know we quickly talked about Flash before. Uh, it's Chris Zilka is the actor's name, and apparently, I've just read here, he's dating Paris Hilton. Uh, so, oh, lucky guy. I know. How much, how much older is she than him? Uh, <laughs> what are you saying? Paris Hilton's old? <laughs> oh, I, no, looking at it now, he's quite old, too. He looks very young in this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a, he's a model as well. Like, I mean, you know, ooh, no wonder Paris Hilton's going after him. Um, yep. You know, anyway. But uh, so then Ben's been called in, uh, and he basically is, you know, talking to him about, oh, was this getting even? Was this the same guy that, you know, hit you before? We didn't talk about that before, the fact that he, when he came back home, he put that meat on his face, which kind of seemed a bit weird, but... Uh, 
anyway. Uh, and so he's kind of... I swear, like, a lot of the time in this film, they're trying to find ways for Martin Sheen, Ben Parker, to come up with a with great power comes great responsibility line. You know, he's always got these, like, sterling speeches that just never quite deliver it the same way as they do in the original Spider-Mans. One thing I noticed here on the wall at this school, they've got all these, like, banners up and everything. I love the fact that one of the signs says, semi-finalist school. Like, is this school just <laughs> not that good that it can't make a final of whatever the hell it's a semi-finalist in and that's what they're proud of? Potentially <laughs> fourth place. Yes. We're so proud of it. Um, and then uh, we see Gwen in the background and here's creepy Martin Sheen coming on to Gwen Stacy. <laughs> well, she looks familiar. He's got you on your computer. <laughs> now, this is what I was talking about. Is he talking just about the wallpaper, or did he go into Peter's folders and yeah. <laughs> his uh, secret boards on Pinterest and discover all the other pictures of Gwen that he had? He's got you all over his computer. <laughs> yes. Oh, you should see all the Photoshop versions he's done, uh, getting all those pictures of Bing. Uh, <laughs> um, but then we get this like this scene where it's like, you know, again, Peter and Gwen want to bone each other 3.0 or whatever we're up to oh. right now. It's like, wanna we could, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, we could, we, uh, I can't right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah all right. Uh, uh, like, I mean, <laughs> wow. I wish I could line. There's a line where he goes, or we could, uh, uh, or maybe better yet, we couldn't even saying nothing. Yeah. I will say, as much as kind of his stuttering does annoy me, going back to what you were saying about like the teenage boy sort of aspect, this I think is kind of a very teenagery thing. Like it's kind yeah. of. You've got these two, like, they clearly are so into each other, more so that you just feel that any point right now they're taking their clothes off and going to town. But, like, this is kind of that awkward sort of... We've all been there. I don't know about you, Colin. You don't like romance, but we've all been... <laughs> those things, you know, when I was a teenage girl, you know, I clearly had these <laughs> moments <laughs> where, you know, stuttering all over my words and everything like that. So um, I do like this little scene between the two of them. Oh, it's so good. And... uh in a way, it disappoints me later on because uh, I found I liked this dynamic so much that my problem later on is that Peter almost becomes too confident with her. Yeah. And I wish that he would have kept a little bit of that awkwardness later on when they do start dating. Uh, but still, I mean, th- this scene, this could have very well been their audition scene. That's the way that I feel this. like, And again, a lot of stuff just feels like it's improvised, too. Um same as what I was saying earlier, I don't believe that they would have cast one of these actors without the other. I think that they're a package deal and they make this. And one of the reasons why I walked away from this, you know, telling people, go see this movie. I'll pay for you to see it. It's that good. Is because even though it isn't bringing much new to the table, uh, it, it is bringing this great chemistry between these two leads that uh, very few movies, especially like superhero movies, really bother with. They bother with the chemistry between the hero and the villain. This time it's the opposite. The chemistry of the hero and the villain is pretty much non-existent. But yeah, the Uncle Ben scene too, absolutely love it. Just the way that he, this is kind of, you know, not an uncle. I mean, uh, I guess more of a father thing to do or whatever. Once, you know, you have a teenager, you're going to poke at him a little bit. You're going to try to embarrass him. You know, you want to, I guess most teenagers have a little bit of an inflated <laughs> opinion of themselves. No. So you'll do things like try to embarrass them. It's like, hey, he's got pictures of you all over his computer. <laughs> oh, no. He's, he's talking about the debate team picture. It's just the scene's played so well. And I even just love the way that Martin Sheen It's different from Cliff Robertson. I'm not saying it's better. I prefer Cliff Robertson by far. Um, but it's just great that he 
he talks back to Peter and he's, he says stuff like, you know, you're going to go pick up your aunt now because I had to change shifts. I mean, we get a, w- only a small bit of that in the original ones where he's talking about how he was fired and everything. But this is like the struggling uncle. And with only a few scenes, probably less screen time Martin Sheen has than Cliff Robertson had in the first one. We get more of the fact that this is a guy who didn't ask to be, you know, watching this kid for his entire life. And, uh, you know, he happily does it, but he sacrifices a lot. And I can't imagine a guy who's probably in his 60s who still has to work night shifts, hmm. you know, at this dead end job uh, and that you know, his his wife still has to work night shifts in order to support a teenage kid that's not even theirs. I mean, little things like that they do in this. Again, something else that they offered that was new. We should also, yeah, you kind of pointed out there that, uh, you know, due to the fact that uh, Ben's had to come in there and, uh, you know, obviously see the principal or whatever they've had to do, uh, yeah, he has to have to change his shift so that um, he can't pick up Aunt May, so Peter has to do that just Pay note to that because that obviously becomes important uh, very very soon. Yeah. But yeah, there from this point, you know, uh, Peter's got a massive raging boner over Gwen because you know they're they're doing whatever the hell they're doing. So why not go to an abandoned warehouse and skateboard? Because uh, that's what horny teenagers with boners do. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on what they really would be doing at that point. But um, look, this scene, like, I don't know how I feel about this scene. It's 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 nice. It's different. It's so different to what we get in the Sam Raimi films. We get Coldplay, which automatically should turn people off, but I actually really like the Coldplay song that they use. I did have it written oh. down. Wow, okay, we've just lost Colin all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I did write the song down, but I've kind of I've lost it all of a sudden. But um, it, it works. Like, if you listen to the lyrics, I just think it works with the scene. That's kind of my point with it. And I do like Coldplay. Come on. I don't know why they're so hated all of a sudden. There's a new Nickelback, but whatever. We won't. That's a different podcast. Um, but look, I just don't know how I feel about this because, you know, he's skating. He's kind of, oh, I've discovered I can hang on chains and, you know, I can do this and do that and st- ends it off by going, woo, like he's Ric Flair or something like that. Um, I, I actually thought that was a throwback to Tobey Maguire when he first, you know, swings i think for the first time he does the same thing he gives the woo he does but i just i I guess kind of this is the differences when it comes down to it where again non-comic book fan ben didn't realize that the organic webs wasn't actually a thing that he builds it so (laughs) again remember when i seen this and he's building the webs i'm thinking what why are they doing this like i was weirded out by it when that's actually how it happens in the comic books so I guess I kind of like the Tobey Maguire sort of self-discovery scene a little bit more when he's, you know, got the, the webs and he's off the roofs and he's woo and go web, you know, fly up, up and away yeah. web. Whereas kind of we've got emotional, broody teen in this discovering himself to Coldplay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I like it, but I don't. I think I pr- much prefer how they do this in the Sam Raimi films. I don't like it at all. Um, I understand why it's there, especially since this is supposed to be more of a realistic take and it's funny because that's lost now only five years later since this is how superhero movies have evolved since the christopher nolan batman movies where everything is about what would this be like in the real world um but outside of batman begins in the dark night the amazing spider-man was really the first superhero movie to test that of making it you know everything what would this be like in a real life what would how would you explain web shooters in real life you know what would a real teenage boy do to test his powers he probably would do this you know just find some abandoned warehouse and mess around but it's just it's not a fun scene um it, it doesn't compare to the original 
Uh, it's another one of these scenes where it's like blink and you miss it because they don't want to dwell too long and we're just retelling the origin story but changing everything. Uh, and I just I never liked Peter Parker on a skateboard. Uh, mm, um, I don't that it, it, yeah, it it just it makes him too trendy. It doesn't make him you know, enough of an outcast. Uh, I see Peter Parker. And I like this interpretation. It wouldn't fit with this interpretation, but Peter Parker is the guy who still has the basket on the front of his bicycle. You know, <laughs> uh, there should be something that there's a reason why Flash would want to beat this kid up, and it doesn't make sense for him to be on the skateboard and everything. But I guess the one thing that I did find interesting was going back and reading those first few issues of the Ultimate Spider-Man, and it doesn't have this where he's you know swinging on the chains and everything. But there is a scene when he first discovers his powers, and he's in like some abandoned factory just like this. And I even see chains hanging down. And I think that's kind of, maybe they just saw that one panel from one of those comics. So like, Oh yeah, that's how we're going to do it. So a little bit of a throwback to that there, but no, the scene's painful for me and the song doesn't work at all. And I found it sad that uh, I, I, I'm not going to say I found it sad. I personally prefer movies where the soundtrack is just the score, but I think we could have done with a few more songs in this movie, especially a movie that was not only trying to be realistic and aimed to adults, but they did want this to be more of a teen movie, even if it was more realistic. And I think we have like two or three songs in this entire movie. And one of them is, you know, some symphony that Stan Lee's listening to later on. <laughs> Maybe they could have done with a few extra songs in here and something a little bit better than Coldplay. Come on. So Sam Raimi's got his influence here with old style music instead of the twist. It's symphony. He's going re- even old school Mark Webb, clearly. Uh, the song yeah. is called Till Kingdom Come. It's a bonus track from the album X and Y. Clearly not on your uh, Spotify playlist there, Colin. No. Or are you no, Googling it right never. now to try and find it? What are you yeah. doing there? <laughs> I'm trying to find the soundtrack to see what other songs would be on there. Right. Okay. Well, have um, anything? Do we have any other real songs in here? I can't um, remember any. I, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I I I just stick to the Coldplay knowledge there, Colin. Please. Uh, <laughs> the kid is taking so- over again. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> He's listening to the Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, Colin. What What's the Coldplay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that just a way of describing like, it? All the famous bands are the, like the Coldplay, the Nickelback, the Amazing, if you're a fan of the Amazing. We've just discovered that, that there's a Swedish indie band called the Amazing. <laughs> I, 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 it's kind of, um, oh, what did, oh, we've got, I think you've got Flight Center there in Canada, you know what Flight Center is. Um, but I remember when Louise and I and her mum, we used to talk about Flight Center, they would always explain it as, we're going to the Flight Center. I'm like, there's no the in front of it. You do realize that, right? It's just flight center. Um, yeah, Jamie does that with everything. Um, <laughs> the Walmart. For years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, we, we just won't let the echidna keep taking over us. We need to keep talking about this film and we're... Oh, go- the echidna. The echidna. The echidna. Yes. <laughs> um, we're now back with, uh, with what's his name? Colin, that's it. Uh, no, Kurt. No, you're Colin. Uh, <laughs> Connors, Colin Connors. He used to be, um, he's a, he's a Survivor fan. He's interacted with me before. That's where I'm thinking of Colin Connors. Kurt Connors. Uh, hello, Colin. If you're listening, you're probably not, but, um, he's back with creepy Peter. Well, he's creepy and he's with Peter. Uh, and, <laughs> Stop trying to sell this thing, Ben. It's not a thing. Uh, and we discover they've got a dispersing device that's been locked in Oscorp for how long, does he say? I mean, it just happens to be there. Um, 
I don't know why it's just there collecting dust, but it could cure polio in the afternoon. But, oh, it could also spread biological weapons. Hmm, I wonder if that's foreshadowing anything. Uh, and then we meet Freddy, the three-legged mouse. Oh, the star of this film. Um, and they have a weird hologram computer where they can enter in Peter's amazing uh, algorithm, which essentially comes up with, uh, what's it like, pending, failed, or what does it say, subject, deceased. All that weird, yeah. you know. What again? Computers just always need to talk to you in these films. Um, I think it's. I think it was actually fatality. <laughs> fatality. <laughs> Headshot. Uh, <laughs> fatality. Echidna wins. <laughs> the echidna wins. <laughs> uh, I do like his little line when they get there. What does he say at one point? Like, "Oh, human trials aren't till next week," and he has that little um, yeah. you know, smirk on his face. Um, so yes, we've got that. Then Peter goes home because he's avoided a phone call. Because uh, remember, he had to pick up Aunt May. So there's Ben out there on the stoop, uh, pretty pissed off at Peter. And then uh, May's kind of just, you know, hey, look, you know, it's fine. I'm capable of walking home and you know, raping New York City at whatever time that <laughs> is. Um, and then Ben's obviously yelling at him, "You will not defend him." Uh, and then we get the line that was basically, I swear this is the moment where they're trying to do the, with great power comes great responsibility. Because he says something like, not choice, responsibility. Or something like that. Like, there's just a lot, I, can't, I didn't write it down word for word, I don't know if you've got it. But um, Peter obviously gets angry because uh, he mentions his dad, where is he? How dare you? How dare you? And then they just have this great fight. It's, again, going back to the chemistry, it works really, really well. He runs out, smashes the door, poor Aunt May and uh, Uncle Ben have to pay for yet more damage in their house. Um, and then, basically, this is, uh, spoiler alert, the Ben Parker about to get murdered scene. Um, Ben goes out looking for Peter. He's hiding up in the rafters. Why not? He wants to buy a $2.07 milk. He gets the douchiest shop assistant ever. Uh, <laughs> this guy is an arsehole. He deserves to get robbed. I'm saying it now. Um, what is... Can you explain this to me? I think this... I don't know if this is an American thing or this is in Canada too. What the fuck is take a penny, leave a penny? I've never understood this. Uh... No, we ha- we have that here. Oh well, we used to because Canada eliminated the penny a couple of years ago. So all s- our smallest currency is a nickel now, which is five cents. But yeah, I remember this used to be a thing. Y- you know, if you have like a little bit of extra change, you throw it in there, and it's meant for. Oh, if you're only like two or three cents short, then just grab one out of here, and then the same thing with like pay it forward. You know, if you have a couple of cents, throw it in there. I guess the idea is that, that way the store is not always having to break a 20 you know for a two dollar and seven cent milk and that the the people aren't always having to dig through their pockets oh where where do i have that change and you don't have those old ladies you know the old ladies who hold up the line yeah with all of their pennies you and your old lady love it's right at their disposal right that's why you hate old ladies that's right now we've discovered <laughs> why you hate old ladies because they're always holding up the old lines in doors. Line. Yeah, yeah yeah they're so much worse than like the old ladies who are holding down their superhero <laughs> nephews or uh <laughs> Allowing child labor under their watch uh, on moving day. <laughs> yes. Uh, but well, in this instance, he's not allowed to take the penny because you've got to, what, spend $10 or something. But he's just a douche. Like, seriously, it's $2.07, you fuckhead. Um, but then this store gets robbed. And this guy, what does he say? Like, really? Oh, not cool. Then he gets robbed. 
Um, and then, of course, we get him running out of the store, leaving the store unattended, mind you. So other people are robbing him at the same time. He's really concerned about this guy. Uh, and we get the the similar line to, what, Spider-Man, where, you know, originally this douchey shopkeeper said, like, not my policy. And then, you know, he comes out, oh, you're going to help me catch yeah. that guy. Not my policy. Uh, and this obviously leads to this guy who's just robbed the store, running away. Ben approaches him. I don't understand why Ben goes for the gun. Sure. Um, and then he gets shot, and spoiler alert, he dies. Um, and we get Peter obviously discovering it, we get an emotional scene, you know, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, call an ambulance. Um, and we then cut back to Aunt May's, uh, the house, the NYPD are there, they're actually doing their job for once. Um, (laughs) can I just point out, uh, the NYPD, much more inept at their jobs probably in this film than they were in the original trilogy. Um, emergency services have improved in the uh, Mark Webb. Well, well I mean, to I'll, a, I'll, better than they were, I'll, surely. I'll give the example that at least you know here in, in this movie, I guess, they have the proper sketch of the proper killer and it's not five years later. Yeah. It's like, oh, sorry, he actually looks like Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> and he didn't. we didn't tell you until now, until he broke out of prison. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my question about that is, though, is that how fucking quick can they get that sketch? artists like there like i mean how how many hours have passed since the murder and they've already got this printed and oh we're gonna spread this around and then they're still gonna ask her do you recognize this man only to say no and then oh didn't expect you would of course he wouldn't (laughs) she wouldn't this is just some random guy in a store that ben doesn't know (laughs) oh that's jimmy from down the street how could we not forget (laughs) and then is that the only copy of this because peter takes it and then like they've just knocked this up so uh, anyway, I'm yeah, just gonna... You don't see them scan it or anything, exactly. or take a picture on their smartphone. I'm sure they've probably, like, knocked it up on a computer and printed But again, where's the printer? Does the NYPD carry a portable printer with them out to the suburbs every time someone's <laughs> murdered? <laughs> I mean, must happen a lot in New York. No wonder Aunt May can't walk the streets by herself. Uh, this would have been her. Um, I'm going to lump a lot of these together, and we'll go back over these. So then, uh, obviously, you know, Peter's sad. He's trying to listen to the voicemail. Uh, which he can't, and then um, basically we see him at school, everybody's staring at him, they're obviously very sad for him. We get Star Flash coming in here, and, you know, Peter, not today, Flash, and he pins him up against the locker, and obviously he's actually trying to be nice. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice little scene, that's what we've kind of gone over. We like we like Flash. Um, we love Flash. We love Flash. Um, now, at this point, is this, yeah, so this is basically Peter going around, uh, trying to find this killer. So he's, you know, going to alleys, right? And he's, um, goes up to this entire gang that just shows up on him after this one guy's bashing up a woman. So, hey, look, here's the whole gang who chase him. Uh, he's trying to find this star on the wrist. We should have mentioned that, of course. He's a long-haired blonde guy with glasses and a star on his wrist. Uh, eventually falls through a roof. He just happens to be a wrestling ring there. Um, and he gets the idea to put a mask on because the uh, guy, I've seen your face, I've seen what you look like. <laughs> um, that just reminds me of Dr. No. We'll be back. We'll be back with the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so from this point on, um, he he gets a mask. He's the sewing fiend. He loves sewing. And has he created his uh, webs at this point? Have I just skipped over this? Or is this when he's creating them now? I don't remember. I'm just going um, over here. I think this must be where he creates the webs. Either that or I've just completely... We've missed the part where he creates the webs. <laughs> so, I think we have. Anyway, at some point he creates web shooters. Uh, <laughs> kind of important for Spider-Man. Um, now, look, I, again, we'll go over this. You can love this in with your thoughts in a second. But I just... 
I think I said this in the first trilogy. Like, again, I had no idea that... I thought that was genuinely natural. Like, that was the first trilogy was how it was. Clearly, I was wrong, so I don't read the comics. But my question with this is, again, if this is so simple for him to make, if this is so simple for somebody to make, why do you have to wait until you're bitten by a radioactive spider? Like, come on. If, like, Oscorp are making these little bullet things of great web, like, cool. Why doesn't people just do that anyway? And, like... What if you run out? At least, you know, Tobey Maguire, he's got that jizz in his arm. So, like, he's only loses it when he's depressed. Whereas, like, if Andrew Garfield's on a really, like, you know, long day, does he always have to carry a little backup canisters off this web? Because, like, fuck, I'm out. Shit. Can't use my web. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a bit of a downside. If only that. this stuff was organic. With I know, up. right? James Cameron's idea worked better. Um, and basically I'll end it right to the point where we finally see Spider-Man because, you know, he's in this mask, he's going around just checking out all these people, um, and then basically he's becoming a vigilante, the police are kind of getting an eye on him, and then he eventually is googling, or sorry, binging, um, costume ideas, um, spandex, spandex, everything spandex, and then, boom, we get this lovely little sort of POV shot of Spider-Man slinging around New York City until we see his reflection. And I've written here, 54 minutes in until we finally see Spider-Man as Spider-Man. So, yeah, a bit, a bit, to, bit to lump in there together, but uh, there you go. Again, I'll have to go back and see the timestamp, but I'm pretty sure it was around the 50-minute mark when we saw him as Spider-Man in the first two um, I get that the difference is, is that we saw the origin story once before. Maybe they should have done it a bit quicker. You also said, you know, that you're covering a lot of stuff there. But in all honesty, it's really only a few minutes of screen time. This goes back to what I was saying earlier, that a lot of these scenes where they are just retelling part one again, uh, they just kind of like gloss over it. It's just it, you blink and you miss it. And the perfect example is Ben's death scene, which I'll get to in a bit. But you know, going back just right to the beginning to the um, the the scene with Connors where they introduced the Ganali machine, which I don't know why they came up with that name. It sounds like a very awkward name for the big device that this entire movie's plot is going to be based on. Like Ganali, I don't know what that Gnarly. means. It just sounds <laughs> it sounds awkward. It, it looks weird. Um, they could have called it like I don't know the Devastator or something. <laughs> <laughs> Something that that has a little bit of a catchier ring to it, but uh, it is one of the worst, as you call it, foreshadowings or exposition that you could ever see in a superhero movie. I just remember seeing this for the first time when they pointed that out. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, well, you know, that's going to factor into the climax of the movie. Like, it's just way too obvious because there's no point to pointing it out. And it has no relevance to any scene that you've seen up until this point. Um, I love the scene with them at the house. So I'm not going to have any criticism for that. But even that scene, it's amazing. When that started, I was typing my notes about how much I love that scene and how I don't think Tobey Maguire had any dramatic scenes as powerful as that one is. And before I finished typing two sentences, the scene was basically over. You know, like mm. you basically recited all the dialogue there. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, where is he now? And uh, and then, you know, Ben and him a few exchanges and then he slams the door. I'm not saying it's not effective. I think it's very effective. But uh, it, it does happen quick, like everything at this point in the movie. But that one scene, I mean, that just shows why Andrew Garfield was the right guy for this movie. And that's why I'll defend Andrew Garfield, because it comes across so natural and he's bringing something that I don't think Tobey Maguire could have done. I'm not saying Andrew Garfield is a better or worse actor than Tobey Maguire. I think in these Spider-Man movies, for this type of 
character Andrew Garfield does what Tobey Maguire couldn't. And there are areas where Tobey Maguire does what Andrew Garfield couldn't. It's just it's a that. trade-off. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, so the next scene, this is the one I talked about earlier on. Well, I'll have no defense for this. When we're retelling the origin story, everything's done just slightly differently. You know, Ben's death's just a little bit different. Um, Peter getting his powers is a little bit different and him testing his powers is a little bit different. The entire first half of this movie is just a remake of the first half of the first one, but they change it just enough so that it feels different with this scene, the convenience store scene. It's just so bad. I mean, this is no way an improvement, mostly because storytelling wise, it's not even effective. It doesn't make sense. Like, the whole point of this character is that he's supposed to feel guilt for Uncle Ben's death. And they still try to sell you that in this movie. But this was something as simple as, you know, like you said, the guy's being a douche. Uh, he's really asking for it. And not to mention, we, we, we talked about how in the first movie, it's understandable that Peter wouldn't stop him if he's just this regular teenager, right? Mm. Now, we know he's Spider-Man, but it's like, why didn't you stop that guy, the, the police, the Annette police officer of <laughs> Sam Raimi's trilogy? Why didn't you stop that guy with the gun, you know, weak little 17-year-old kid in his pajamas? <laughs> but here, even more so, we haven't even seen him in a fight yet as Spider-Man. In the first, we saw him come off, you know, basically demolishing the macho man Randy Savage. I mean... <laughs> All we've seen Peter Parker do is knock Flash over as he dunked a basket. So you you understand he's not going to try to stop this guy. And it's just such a weak scene. Oh, well, uh, this guy wouldn't let me have my milk. You know? <laughs> so basically, Ben Parker's killed over the fact that Peter didn't get his milk. All right? Yeah. And it's it's kind of like feel- Darth Vader became Darth Vader because he, you know, couldn't, you know, save Padme or whatever the lame excuse it was. So it's kind of like yeah. well, these superheroes. That was a that was a poor I'm gonna, comparison. I'm going to go back to defending Star Wars. I think it had more to do with the yeah. fact that he thought he killed her and his unborn yeah, child. Yeah, no, look, but- that was a really bad. I take that back. I too take that back. Yeah. Uh, I like the prequels too, Colin. So you know that. Another debate. But no, it's just, it doesn't work. It's just, it's a bad scene. Uh, you feel for Peter more than anything else. And even when Ben dies, you don't connect the two. Is it, well, he should have stopped the guy back there. It's not done effectively at all. Ben's death, it does work to a certain degree, but not the same as the original. Again, it happens a little bit too fast, so you don't know what's happening. Uh, the audience is expecting it, so just like all the other ones, I understand why they just have it happen quickly and then it's over. You have to catch the audience off guard. But I think that Ben's death is more effective when it happened off screen. And that was one of the best things that they kept in the Sam Raimi movie that they kept from the comics. That Peter just shows up and he's already been shot. And I like that as opposed to us watching Ben get shot and Peter watching him get shot and quickly running across the street. Um, One last thing to add on that. Just reading my notes here. uh, I wrote Ben's death more effective off screen and autocorrect said Ben's death more festive off screen. (laughs) I, that's the first thought I had. Uh, very Christmassy moment uh, at that point. I'm thinking Jingle Bells, Santa. Ah, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> there's nothing that reminds you of the festive holiday season more than an old man getting <laughs> shot. Here comes old man. Here comes old man. Here comes old man getting shot. <laughs> um, festive scenes. <laughs> All right. Um, what other stuff do we cover here? Yeah, the the police sketch artist is, is kind of funny. I hadn't even thought about that. They don't even keep their copy. Uh, 
Okay, so some of the stuff I really do like here is the hunt for the killer. And with the original, he kind of decides to become Spider-Man after he's graduated and all this, and a month or two has passed. Here, it's like an immediate thing. He's like, I'm going to go find this killer. And I really like that because it's showing... I don't know if this was the intention of Mark Webb. I, I complain that we don't really get Peter's guilt over this. Maybe instead they're trying to make it like it's vengeance more than anything else. But I don't know if they really sell that that well as well. I just, I like him going on this hunt for the killer and these gangs. And we get to see a little bit of his anger and him coming in late at night. Those scenes with Aunt May are fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I really like Aunt May in this movie, not just because of Sally Field, but I just like the way they write her character. She's smarter in this because she kind of gets right away, yeah, there's something going on with this kid here. Uh, is it here where they talk about the vigilante? And yeah, no, I did, like, I did skip over that. So I think this is the first time we meet Dennis Leary, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it? Uh, no, I th- well, I think that comes in the next scene after he becomes Spider-Man, yeah. But I just can't remember if the scene where uh, Aunt May is watching the news first thing in the morning and they're talking about this vigilante. I do think that comes later, but... I'll comment on it now, because I've already blown it. <laughs> Spoiler alert, so, Dennis Leary's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might have mentioned that in the beginning, but, you know, look out, he's Dennis Leary. <laughs> but I, I just, I like that Aunt May's kind of always a little bit on to him, and I mentioned that in the Sam Raimi ones, that I kind of have this suspicion that she knows the whole time. Uh, it's a cool throwback to have him fall into the wrestling ring. Uh, I also had to Google it, but I love the poster... You know, of the, the masked uh, luchador there, uh, Cruzado de la Noche, uh, <laughs> which translates as Crusader of the Night. Of course it does. <laughs> I had to Google that. I didn't have to Google that. Uh, I've been to Mexico, Colin. I speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah. You just walked around saying, ah, oh, well, uh, cru- Cruzado de la Noche. Uh, and they're like, ah, oh, over there. That's why I got pickpocketed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you lost your phone and your, everything you had on you. Um but I didn't, here's something really sad. I can't even count how many times I've seen this movie. I never noticed that it was that mask that he modeled the Spider-Man mask after. Really? I just thought it was a random, like, luchador mask. <laughs> that was the first but thing it, I did notice in that scene. Come on. <laughs> it, just, it looks exactly like the Spider-Man. Anybody out there who hasn't noticed that, I'm going to blow your mind here. The mask on the poster on the wall is the Spider-Man mask. Shut but up. It's not, because it's Cruzado de la Noche. So... <laughs> And Dennis Leary's in this film? No! <laughs> in it. But not yet. Don't want to get ahead of herself. <laughs> get excited. He's an asshole. <laughs> but yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff we get to see, like him when he's doing his training sequence here, he, um, where he's doing the handstand and he's hanging upside down from his wall. Like I mentioned, the little things we get to see him do, like hang upside down from the wall and his handstand. I mean, that's an incredible moment where he's hand standing on top of this high rise building mm-hmm. and then he just drops and he tests the webs the first time. Yeah. Um, great visuals. And I also want to say, obviously there are moments of that, which are effects, but one of the things Mark Webb really wanted to do in this was to use practical stuntmen as Spider-Man as much as possible, as opposed to the Sam Raimi, where the majority of the time that you're seeing him as Spider-Man, it is computer generated so much of this is real stuntmen in costume doing it. You know, Andrew Garfield uh, doing that swinging thing when he uh, uh, after the handstand off the building. So there's some great stunt work in this, and it it makes a difference. I feel like I feel like this looks more realistic because of that. Uh, and also the other thing you mentioned, like the first person view of him in Spider-Man, like that one reveal. I know they show that in the I can't remember if it was the teaser trailer or the full trailer. That first person view, and 
I didn't really notice it until I saw it when it came out and seeing it in 3D. That was one of the reasons I really rushed out and, and dragged people to see this movie with me later in the week is because uh, 3D's kind of lost on us now. But here, you know, only a few years into the 3D craze, this was one of the best uses of 3D that I had ever seen in, in The Amazing Spider-Man. And I, I kind of uh, feel like that's something that Homecoming is going to have to live up to. And this movie doesn't get enough credit for how well it used the 3D. Yeah, I was going to mention the 3D, for sure, I agree with you. And, I mean, look, I've never... I think it was Noah, wasn't it, that used to always be so critical about 3D films. Um, and, <laughs> look, I've kind of just been neither here nor there on them. Like, they're cool, but, I mean, look, I won't go out of my way to see them in 3D. Like, if I've got not enough money, it's not going to bother me if I don't see it in 3D. But, yeah, I, I saw this in 3D, and... Um, there are definitely, yeah, moments where this works. And, like, it's even funny when you watch it now, kind of like those sweeping overhead visuals of New York City and then kind of you'll get the Empire State Building's antenna, like, which, you know, 3D, that's popping right out at you. It's, like, really clever. Yeah. Yet when you're watching it kind of just, like, in non-3D, you're kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a weird shot. But, I mean, you've got to kind mm. of put that into context. I think it, it definitely works. And, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I like the, the POV shots as well. <laughs> I, I'm not going to comment on what other types of POV shots I like, but that's a different story. Um... <laughs> You don't get that joke because you're an innocent boy. That went Colin. over my head. Porn, <laughs> like, Colin. Porn. It was a joke about porn. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm too innocent for that. Sorry. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're, you're wait. Ask Jamie. She knows what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the echidna, it's coming back. It's coming back. <laughs> He's having an echidna attack. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he said. I've been taking my medicine throughout this episode. That's why it's going so long. Um... <laughs> lost my train of thought um but the, the two things actually i wanted to quickly mention i, I will talk i want to talk about the uh as i bang my microphone jesus the echidna really is killing me um i'm gonna die by the end of this episode all right there's gonna be a death on the old network um i want to talk about the suit in a second because obviously it's got differences to the toby Maguire suit but just quickly the, the one thing i think i mentioned this earlier that really annoys me about this film and i guess both of these films is the fact that we never get a payoff on Uncle Ben's killer because he goes looking for him, a couple of vigilante scenes, and we're about to get another one in just a second. There's no payoff. He never finds him. Am I am I, am I? I missing something here? Is there deleted scenes that maybe just didn't get shown? But in both of these films, we never get any resolution of this. And again, is this a deleted scene? Is this what they were setting up in the third one? I mean, what's kind of your take on why they didn't kind of resolve this? Yeah, um... But there's another funny thing. The amount of times I've seen this movie and it, that never occurred to me. Either. I always would look... If you were to ask me after watching this movie, did he find the killer? I'd be like, oh, yeah. It was one of those guys in the montage. But it never actually happens. So... <laughs> It's, I mean, it, just, uh, it really stands out. It really, like, I think that's probably similar to you. I didn't really pay much attention to that. and But just, as I said, kind of before doing it for these recaps... Uh, when I rewatched them, you know, only a couple of months ago, this is the, like the one thing that really stood out to me. I, I kind of got to the end of the second one, going, "Hang on a minute, he still hasn't found Uncle Ben's killer." <laughs> but in a way, I think that might be. I mean, maybe they were saving it for the third one. Who knows? But that might be another credit to Mark Webb is that you know we went through this first hour where we're retelling the whole story over again. They bring you something fresh with this hunt for the killer. They really focus on that, and then just like that, they're able to change it and have you forget about that because it's not something that ever bothered me it bothers me now now, like, <laughs> now what it does where's the killer what is he doing right now who else is he murdering exactly what other kids is he giving milk to to cover for him 
Um, the whole judicial system's broken down because of this man, and you just let him get away, Mark Webb. The NYPD have improved, but the courts haven't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming through, Law and Order, Spider-Man. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the suit, the one thing I remember about the, the promotion of this film was probably, what, like a year before this was released, they released that still shot of Andrew Garfield in the Spidey suit. And they basically were talking up how different does this suit look compared to the Tobey Maguire-era spider suit. Now, I think, again, you can probably comment on this more than I can. This was closer to the comic books, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, you know, subtle, I guess, design changes to it. Um, And, look, to be honest with you, I'm not... I, I like both the way both suits look. I think both have their their positives and negatives. Um, and then obviously looking ahead to Homecoming, that even looks like it's got some subtle changes. So I guess a weird sort of question, uh, were you a f- more of a fan of how the suit looked in The in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 films or sort of the Sam Raimi trilogy? Uh, to be honest, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm not one of these people who gets upset with the, how the suits are different. I mean, if you had Batman dressing the way he dressed in the comics, you know, even the dark comics of like the 80s, like Frank Miller's things that get adapted in animated movies and they're R-rated, if you still put a live-action guy in that costume, it looks ridiculous. So I think what's most important is that it is a skin-tight suit. It has the Spider-Man logo on it. Uh, with this, they incorporate more of the blue into it, where Tobey Maguire's didn't really have that. The Tom Holland one in the Spider-Man Homecoming looks straight out of the comics. It looks very retro, it, what we saw in Civil War as well. Uh, I probably prefer the Andrew Garfield one. The only thing I don't prefer are like the black lenses he has. Just because I don't feel it makes as much sense. Uh, you know, with Tobey Maguire, it was more like these white lenses, which is kind of like the way that it looks in the comic. But these black sunglasses, and the majority of the time we're seeing Spider-Man, he's fighting at night. It just, hmm. every once in a while, they show an up-close shot. And I'm like, how is he seeing anything right now? Night vision, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. His other invention. Yeah, exactly. That Oscorp couldn't get. The one thing, too, that I just also point out that I do like, I mean, we went over a lot, I feel, in the Sam Raimi trilogy about kind of, the, I guess, the time, the era this was set in. You know, like, if that train fight had to happen today, there would have been people's cell phones, you know, filming, taking it. And we, we do get that in this film, of course, when he's slinging around, you know, being that vigilante, there's that footage, isn't there, of, you know, somebody with a phone filming it, and then you've got Peter yeah. walking behind the two geeks at school. I mean, that that is very kind of going back to what we're talking about, how they're trying to make the geeks look a certain way because of the era, how geeks are portrayed. That's very much, you know, you've got to use technology essentially in this point, which is going to play in, obviously, to the whole Dennis Leary vigilante section and the dinner scene coming up soon. Wait, Dennis Leary's in yeah, this? Yeah, Dennis Leary's in this film, Colin. Uh, it's like, <laughs> I think we meet him now, funnily enough. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a roundabout here, isn't it? He's giving, like, a press conference about catching the vigilante or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Really, we obviously got the just another shot with May and, and Peter sort of, you know, you kind of went over that. But I, I like kind of what the eggs bit where it's like, did you get the eggs, the organic or whatever yeah. it is? <laughs> That's a nice little scene which plays back into it later. But we get this car, uh-huh. this stealing the car scene. Now, I like this scene. I do. But this is kind of when I was sort of implying before that Peter Parker in this film is a bit of a dick. <laughs> like, I can get why he's being a dick. And it kind of goes back into that real teenagery kind of aspect. 
But there are just some times when it's like, wow, you really are a dick, Peter Parker. Um, <laughs> somehow he gets into this car. How is he even in that car <laughs> waiting for the car thief? Um, but I do I do like sort of just, you know, this is a snarky Spider-Man that I, I kind of will give Andrew credit, uh, Andrew Garfield a bit more credit over Tom Maguire because these fun little sarcastic bits, you know, when he's like coughing he's like, <laughs> and it's like, oh, you, police, you really think I'm the police? Like, look what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, the, <laughs> I always laugh so hard at the bit when he pulls out the knife. And he's like, oh, my weakness, my weakness, it's small knife! My weakness, it's small knife! <laughs> It's an amazing line. I do love that bit. That bit is amazing. And then just the bit where he's like slinging the webs at him and kind of pinning him up against the wall. And the cops go, boys in blue are here. <laughs> but then he's like, he is the douche. And he's like, I just did 80% of your job. And that's how you pay me? Like, <laughs> But this is this is like, maybe I'm giving too much credit to the NYPD improving. Because they literally give him like, what, one warning before opening fire on him. <laughs> like... <laughs> Seriously, NYPD. I next time I go to New York, if you ask me to do something, I'm listening to you straight away. <laughs> well, and now we know they're more efficient than the Sam Raimi ones because the Sam Raimi ones be like, "Hey, we're supposed to arrest you," and Tom McGuire's like, "No, you're not." Okay, go. But next <laughs> we'll be time here I'm for you when you, you get back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming back. Go save the baby, my baby, my baby, my baby. My baby. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Guess what? That woman had a kidna. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> we were not making fun of mental illness we were making fun of echidna <laughs> my baby my baby <laughs> if we ever do a best of all these spider-man five films i just want to loop you saying my baby my baby on like repeat <laughs> it's probably the funnest i've had editing any of these episodes just listening to you over and over again my baby my baby <laughs> Uh, um, excuse me. Uh, the, I like it when he's swinging away from here. Was he like doing the whole New Yorker? I'm swinging here. I'm swinging here. Uh, why not? Did you get? Is this the scene? I can't remember. I didn't write notes on it, but where he gets bumped by the bus and he's rolling around the bus. Uh, I don't think I wrote that down either. Uh, okay. It's around. But you here. do remember, right? Yeah, yeah. He's swinging through the streets and a bus, and it, it literally has him rolling around the bus. That shot is directly out of Rush Hour 2. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, I've always wanted to go back over and see Jackie Chan as Spider-Man, so... <laughs> 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 you mean Tito! Total's what we had last night for dinner. Uh, <laughs> going over Rush Hour again. Can we just stop doing this right now and do Rush Hour, please? <laughs> Great film. Um... We we get another Dennis Dennis Leary scene. Uh, what does he say? Like thirty eight of New York's finest against one guy in a unitard. Uh, <laughs> I do like that line. Um, uh, another Aunt May scene. Did you get the eggs? Uh, you know, questioning why he's coming back that time of light, night. And, you know, like I'll oh, take off the hood. Go to sleep, Aunt May. Take off the hood. Go to sleep, Aunt May. Um, it's, it's nice. I'm not mocking it. I do. Again, I'm with you there. I do like these scenes. And yeah, I, I definitely feel Aunt May knows. Um, at yep. least something. Um, you know, dumb Rosemary Harris never got a, got a clue, did she? <laughs> um, or did she? Or did she? Now, I'm just going to love this. a hero in all of us. <laughs> you're not Superman, you know, but you're Spider-Man. <laughs> I know, Peter. 
I know. Um, we get another uh, scene here with Kurt and uh, what's his name again? Uh, Jurassic World guy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Rather or whatever. Yeah, Rat. Yeah, him. Uh, and basically, <laughs> he needs to speed up his research uh, because you know Norman Osborn's dying. He's dying of a kidnap. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I like the line that Kurt says. You know, everybody dies, even Norman Osborn. And basically, he's saying, "Well, look, if you don't test this, I'm going to go to the veterans' hospital and try it on veterans." Um, and then because Kurt Connors won't do it, he's going to shut him down. You know, he's basically M in License to Kill. Your License to Kill is revoked. <laughs> I just wanted Kurt you Connors. You to bring that up of all Bond movies. Oh, well, I mean, come on. The last 10 Bond movies have featured that, but that was kind of like... Well, I should just be happy you're not bringing up Die Another Day, so yeah. Yeah, he said it. He said it. This is the part where I would play the song, but I wouldn't do that. This is the Oz Network. Oh, would I? <laughs> Oh, we played it on the Oz Network. Yay. That's not, that's copywritten. I don't think we have the rights to that, do we? Shit. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's listening. Nobody's suing. Fuck, there we go. We just went all this effort to not do copyright and I just fucked it up. Good job, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Might mean Madonna might sue us. Yay, we get to talk to Madonna. Uh (laughs) Listen to 007, available via iTunes now. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm just skipping over. We're going so long here. Um, and then the other bit, I'll just end it here when, what is it, Peter and uh, Gwen are just stopping each other from boning each other at this point. Um, and she invites him over to dinner. And what's the fish thing that she keeps, they keep going on about Branzino? What the fuck is Branzino? Yeah. <laughs> um, I looked it up once. Um, I'm looking it up again now. <laughs> Branzino uh, is the fish equivalent of the echidna. Uh, it's a European <laughs> sea bass. <Ew. gasps> yeah, that's it. You, you don't like I'm not a fish, fish fan. I, I, I don't, I'm not a seafood fan. I'm Australian and I don't like seafood. Go figure. We like seafood. Oh, I've never had it. <laughs> I'm sure it's delicious. Yeah, it doesn't look delicious. It's a giant fish on a plate. <laughs> it looks fucking disgusting. He has no clue how to even open. I'm like, just stick the knife in, Peter. He's like, uh, these tools, what do I do with them? Get your web slings out. <laughs> Turns his head. Dennis Leary! Uh- I loved you in Rescue Me. Um, we're not to the dinner scene yet. I just want to end it at that when Gwen invites him over for dinner. And oh, actually, maybe I'll just also add in there that Kurt Connors has stabbed himself with the needle. Um, yeah. So that's probably. <laughs> Again, I don't Connors get it. Just... Okay. We almost missed that Connors is shooting up here. Well, I, just, I just want to add just quickly I don't get it how, like, oh no, I'm being shut down. Better test it now. <laughs> Better save the veterans. Yeah. Like, why didn't you do this a couple of days ago when he's going off at you? And the other point I wanted to quickly make, 8pm for dinner? Fuck that. Why so late? I'm hungry by that point. Like, make it 7. What's going on there at the, the Stacey household? Yeah, it's funny because I just assume they're on Eastern time and here I am in Central time. Everything's always an hour ahead. I'm like, I could eat at 7, but I guess it's it's still 8 o'clock there. Yeah. It's still late. Very late dinner. Um... I, the only things I really have to add on this, I mean, you said it all with the carjacking scene. I think it's an amazing scene, and that's one of the things that people really loved about this series. And something they did so well is that trash talking Spider Man. And the small knives thing is one of the, like, 
It's one of the best lines in this entire series, the first trilogy or this one. I mean, it's just a fantastic line. And uh, the way that he messes around with the car thief, I think some of his, uh, um, uh, what do you call this? Some of the stuff with the police, uh, again, it makes sense because he is a teenager. It's like, I just did 80% of your job for you. And, you know, the way he messed with everybody, it, it just feels like the way a teenager would react. I think my only complaint is that, it still doesn't feel the way a nerdy teenager would act. Um, I feel like we should be getting maybe a little bit more arrogance with him, uh, but I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just it, he comes across too confident in a way, and the same way with the scene with the scenes with Gwen, where from this point on, you know, he just seems like Mister Confident. He knows how to handle himself with women and all that. And just, I, I miss a little bit of that nerdy Peter. Uh, it's definitely better than, uh, you know, you're the one who's out gobby out of your mind. So let's just be happy that we have some good one-liners here. Uh, the scene with Gwen, the only thing I have to add on that is just how good she is playing awkward. And I wish they would translate a little bit of that to Peter when she's like, uh, oh, this is the address. Like, oh, but I didn't tell you the apartment number. I probably should have done that. Uh, <laughs> this is the apartment number. And just, yeah, it's just she's, she's really good in those scenes where she can where she can be a little bit like the way Peter is and you get more why these two are together than you get why he's with MJ in the original trilogy you know, because they're complete opposites. <laughs> there comes a the groaning, but yeah, I just like, cause Gwen Stacy is a little bit, you know, nerdier than MJ is. And she's a more perfect fit for Peter than MJ is. Uh, so I think it's appropriate that, you know, even though she looks like, you know, a supermodel with school books, uh, you know, her go-go boots intern wardrobe, whatever she has. Go-go boots? Uh, I just... <laughs> that, that's what those are. It's like old 60s boots, you know? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I can't believe you don't know what that is. Oh, look, uh, I, the 60s were a long time ago, you're, Colin. You're uh, a Bond <laughs> fan, an Austin Powers fan. You don't know what go-go is? I'm generally not watching it for the fashion, but um, sure, whatever floats your boat. Okay. Like short skirts and like long boots. You're getting <laughs> you very, very aggressive over the fashion of the sixties. Like, <laughs> well, I could be how do you not know what cocoa boots are? You dickhead. Well, here in the last few minutes, you've told me you don't like fish. You don't like short skirts. <laughs> 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 the echidna's making me not think straight. All right, I love fish, and go-go boots are my favorite things in the world. <laughs> Anyways, my whole point being is that she's more awkward in that than he is, which is fantastic. Uh, from this point on, I feel like she probably feels more realistic, like because Peter just suddenly becomes like way too cool with her. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every scene that's coming up, which we'll get to in a few minutes, but all of their scenes are great because their chemistry is unbelievable. Yeah, um, nothing to add on Norman stabbing himself or. <laughs> Kirk Connors? Yep, that too. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I liked it better when Connors did it than when Norman did it. Yeah, it was so unrealistic. You know, he's dying in the bed. <laughs> uh. He should be able to lift his arm, let alone hit a vein. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, nothing to add on Kurt, no? Uh, I mean, you, you, I love you basically glossed over it. Well, I like, don't right, know. I think you could be okay, dying. Like, oh, this is the one scene I want to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, and Connor stuck a needle in his arm. Take it, Colin. Wait, you got nothing else to talk about with the needle? <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Uh, so, 
I'll just lump all this dinner stuff into one bit. <laughs> this is why we go for three and a half hours again. Just like edit everything out. And it's just us doing this in 20 minutes, all right? But no, we've got to try and be funny. Um, so he shows up at Gwen's house, just happens to fly up to the window. Uh, and she doesn't think that this is suspicious at all. Oh, hello. Oh, it's 20s flights. How did you get up here? Seriously? Like, if I'm living in a 20th story on a New York City apartment and the guy who I want to bone every five seconds somehow has, like, found his way to the window, I'm just thinking, oh, cool, so anyone can climb up my fire escape and potentially rape me. Um, And she's got her curtains wide open. Exactly. God, does she not learn anything from MJ in the first film? (laughs) So, I just love the fact that she's just so blasé about it. Oh, hello. Um, But, uh, yeah, I've written here. So, what does he say? This is your room. And underneath it, I've written, they just want to fuck. (laughs) Because, again, if this is realistic teenagers, again, if you're going back to your point about him being... And, look, I'm, I'm agreeing with you for the most part. But, yeah, if he's a realistic teenage boy right now... He's attempting more than just saying hello. <laughs> yeah. But he's also making a really bad first impression. Oh, exactly. And like what did she say like oh you're not wearing a suit? <laughs> like what okay? And nobody else at that table is either. Yeah. So I don't know why that's a big deal. Gwen has high standards for potential boyfriend. Oh. She's <laughs> Harry Osborne. You're not wearing the black dress? I wanted my yeah. father to see the black dress. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to re-edit that scene with, with Patrick Garfield in the black dress from Thanksgiving in the first Spider-Man film. <laughs> Challenge accepted, Ben. Um, but, yeah, so Dennis Leary knocks on the door. <laughs> Actually, no, hang on. He doesn't knock on the door. He just walks in. <laughs> yeah. Parity 101, Dad, don't just walk in on your teenage daughter, all right? You're going to see things over the years that you will never get out of your head, okay? Um, so, anyway, they're at the dinner table. Um, uh, also, there is a little cross scene in here, isn't there, of uh, of Kurt Connors growing an arm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a very brief scene, but I'm sure you're going to want me to discuss it at great length. <laughs> well, he's on the... We see him, Rani, or whatever his name is, um, on the bridge as well. Um, and he gets... Rani? Oh, well, that's what he's in um, Jurassic World, so... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't being racist. That's his character in Jurassic World, all right? I'm not just assuming. You said it was racist, Mr. Defensive. <laughs> I'm like, not a racist. I thought you were Gee, thinking that, like, the actor, because he was, like, you know, from the subcontinent, I've just called him, like, you know, Imran or something like that. Like, no! <laughs> <laughs> you, you you act like somebody who's been accused of racism on podcasts before or something. <laughs> <laughs> never. Never at all has that ever happened to me. Don't know what you're talking about. Survivor has never <laughs> happened. Uh, <laughs> I need to shoot that thing into my arm right now. I seriously need to turn it into a lizard. Secure <laughs> for a kidna. Why not? Uh, look, just in this whole the dinner and the scene when he's in the taxi and he's you know you know take me to see him and he's growing scales on his face and um, Imran he's in the taxi getting stuck on the bridge in traffic. Cool. Um, but back at dinner, um, Peter meets Dennis Leary. Uh, <laughs> And we get this great scene, though, like, it's, you know, this sort of argument about, 
uh, what's uh, one of the, the little shit kids is asking about the masked Spider-Man <laughs> person. And, you know, he's like, oh, we're going to catch him. We're definitely going to get him. And, of course, you know, Peter's all like, oh, how do you know he's not a good guy? And they get into this fight. Again, great first impression. Great way to meet the parents mm. by getting into a fight with the dad. Uh, he's way too calm as a father. Like, come on now. Just, like, you're a father, Colin, uh, of a son, of course. Um, but <laughs> like, When my son brings home Andrew Garfield, well, I'm going to be much tougher. <laughs> in, in, you know, 16 years' time, 17 years' time, your son brings home, you know, a hot date, boy or girl. I'm not going to imply anything. It's 2017. Date the podcast. They will be wearing go-go boots, I'll they tell you that They will be much. wearing go-go boots. Of course they will be. And eating Branzino. Um, are you... <laughs> Are you gonna like if the your son if 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 Casper's date is questioning you catching Spider Man because <laughs> you are the chief of police of Winnipeg <laughs> at that point? Are you are you gonna take this little shit like attitude or are you gonna kick him out of your house? <laughs> um, I I, I mean. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I've never thought about it. All the now things I have. prepare for parenting, and I never thought, what happens if my son brings home a superhero one day? I never thought <laughs> about it. What if Casper dates Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm the chief of police? <laughs> Look, if I were Dennis Leary, who may or may not be in this movie, we don't want to spoil things, <laughs> but if I'm Dennis Leary, I'm going to pick a fight because that's what he does best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this, I, I do like this dinner scene. What, is it, what does he say at one point? Something about, like, up your ass. And his son is like, what did you just say, Dad? Up your what? Those kids are awesome. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Gwen basically to stop this thing's like, oh, let's go get some air, Peter. Sure, okay. So they go out into the balcony. Um, and, you know, she's all like, what, what happened to your face? Oh, I want to tell you something. I've been bitten. So have I. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Um, but then we get classic Andrew Garfield as Peter. Okay, 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 okay. No, 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 don't. Okay, 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 no, no. Yeah, it's a bit much here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've written here, I want to talk about me. Now, is that Peter or Gwen who says that? Because all I've written here is, I want to talk about me, MJ. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's... Peter. Uh, okay, so he's he's MJ in this film. It's all about coming MJ is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So he's going to be sleeping with half of the city soon. Um, <laughs> I do like the bit where kind of she like what walks off and he grabs her with the web and oh they kiss. Um, you know, oh how great. Then out, you know, in comes uh, the mum. Oh, your father wants you inside. I'm coming. I'm like, oh yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> And then basically, um, <laughs> before she can go inside to see uh, her dad, her dad's already left <laughs> out the door. Bye, dad. See you, Dennis Leary. <laughs> and then, um, you know, basically at this point, she realizes, oh, crap, he's Spider Man. So then he just jumps off the roof because, you know, she clearly knows that he would survive that. To which she just says, I'm in trouble. So, look, I'll shut up from that point. I've gone over it. Remember, Kurt Connors is in here too, Colin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, before I forget about it, because I will if I don't mention it now, the thing about him appearing at the bottom of the building getting the card, that bothered me too, because we're seeing this in real time. Which Your father wants to see you, and Peter jumps off the building that second, and it immediately cuts to him downstairs. So somehow he was like, all right, can you go, go Gwen? I want to talk to her. And all of a sudden, his phone rings as she starts going upstairs. It's like, hey, we got an emergency on a bridge. All right, I'll be downstairs. I'm like, what, does he jump down the elevator shaft? <laughs> Slip on his Dennis coat? Dennis Leary, Spider-Man 2! <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, there's something suspicious going on here about the speed at which Captain Stacy moves. Um, but yeah, I, that bothered me. That never bothered me before now, but this past time I watched it, that bothered me too. Um, these are the beginnings of the scenes where Peter starts to become too confident, and they're still great together. It's just I, I wish that we had. I'm going to keep repeating it. I wish we had him being a little bit more awkward with her and I agree. screwing up, maybe saying something a little bit inappropriate without meaning it. The way that he is with Dennis Leary, <laughs> Dennis Leary, uh, yeah, just saying the wrong thing and screwing up and you know making things awkward. That would be great if he was that way with Gwen here. Uh, I like that this flowers are crushed. <laughs> I got your mom these flowers, and they come up and they're just bent and shriveled. And it's like, oh, those are beautiful. <laughs> Let me just put them back in my bag. <laughs> Look at the ones Harry gave me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh so many good things here it's funny because dennis leary is so well known now for dramatic roles like he said rescue me and everything else people forget that he started as a stand-up comedian and that's really what his background is the song and it asshole shows, come on <laughs> yeah like this guy was known as a comedian before he ever did any acting period so when you get these scenes i mean it's easy to forget if you know dennis leary from anything else that he is a, a funny guy Everything he does here is hilarious, even when he is just being like the straight, angry father. You know, when uh, they're at the dinner table, I mean, so many of those lines going back and forth. And proof again that Andrew Garfield has chemistry with everybody in this movie. That exchange about, you know, the uh, I saw a video. He keeps reading. I saw a video on the Internet. <laughs> and then Captain Stacy replies back. Oh, you saw a video on the Internet. Then the case must be closed. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I just love all of their exchanges. And then, and then Peter's like, oh, I'm just saying, you know, maybe I could send you the link to the video. <laughs> <laughs> I've also got this great one of a crazy little cat. It's really cute. You should watch it. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the double rainbow one? <laughs> <laughs> but there's some good stuff in here that I love when a superhero movie can take something and make it realistic in a way where you're like, this is the way the real world would be. And we don't get a lot of Peter screwing up in this the way that we do in the Sam Raimi movies, which is kind of one of the staples of the Spider-Man character is that he makes mistakes and he screws things up. But the fact that when he's asking him, it's like, well, how come the police didn't catch him? If he's like, oh, if we wanted this guy off the streets, he would have been off the streets. Like, well, yeah. why wasn't he? He goes, well, we were, he was leading us to a whole crime ring. And now because of this, we've lost all these leads. And you realize like, wow, there's consequences to Spider-Man doing what he thinks is the right thing. And that's the type of thing that you never hear in a superhero movie. It's like, you just took this one guy off the street, but what about the bigger case that you just ruined? Or how about every time you save one of these people, how do they prosecute this in court? Because you're not arresting these people. Like when, when he's hanging the guys by the webs right outside of the police station, well, they're not going to be able to prosecute these guys. There's no police officer that was witness to this crime that was able to arrest them. All they can tell is that some jerk with you know <laughs> non-organic webs has just pranked these guys and hung them upside down from street lamps. It could just be revenge. So yeah, like you those... could just be like, yeah, this is John. He totally did that. I just fucking hate John. He didn't really do it, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would do that to whoever killed his uncle if he could find that guy. But, but we never know. To... <laughs> Don't know. But yeah, like, those are just interesting discussions they have that uh, that I think add to, like, the Spider-Man character as some of the ways that they lost it in this one. But just that, that entire exchange they have is absolutely brilliant. And the scene on the roof 
there is a little bit too much stuttering in it, <laughs> but but I also think they were trying to recapture the upside down kiss thing and do something original. In a way, I think it works. I think if you're going to compare it to the upside down kiss, it, it doesn't compare. But the whole you know the web and spinner around, it's still a really good moment, like you said, and you know him just dropping off the building. Um, also, the fact that this has become the trend in superhero movies now that. It used to be, well, nobody ever knows their secret identity. Now it's like, well, at least one or two people do know because we talked about this in the Smallville uh, episodes that we covered that you don't have many places you can go with your show or your movie if your superhero can't talk to anybody, if they can't communicate with anybody. So revealing the powers to Gwen just makes sense now, but it's not something we would have seen in 2002. I mean, hmm. we just talked about in Spider-Man 2 like two weeks ago how revolutionary it was for that movie to allow that. So I think it's great that they jumped right into the movie and did it here. Uh, I, I want somebody to re-edit the, uh, the Upside Down Kiss uh, instead of, you know, you have a knack for getting into trouble. with You, you, you have, have a knack for getting into trouble. <laughs> yeah, kidna tremors have taken over. <laughs> Again, nothing to add on Kurt here at all, God. Kurt's in a cab and he's spazzing. <laughs> I don't know. You might like Reciphons <laughs> with gills on his face. Uh. The, uh, the only thing I'll say is this kind of goes back to what I was talking about. Like I love, I love him as an actor. It's just I don't think that this character works. I don't think that it's exciting, and I don't think the story is compelling enough that you care about Kirk Connors as much as a villain as you care about other ones. So if I am kind of like glossing over these scenes, I'm so sorry, Ben. But also, there's not much to add because. <laughs> It's just sort of, you know, your typical villain. It, it's it's very predictable. That was so Canadian. I'm so sorry, Ben. I'm so- <laughs> if you were like an Australian or American, fuck you, Ben. Stop making me talk about it. No, no, Colin. I'm so sorry, Ben. <laughs> my deepest apologies that I'm not giving you the material you wish for in your podcast. Well, it's not just my podcast. I thought it was our podcast, Colin, but... Um- Sure. Thanks for me owning it now. Um, anyway, uh, let's get to the lizard on it's the... It's the Kirk Connors podcast. True, true. All, right. all Kirk Connors, all the time. Oh. <laughs> It'd be a very short series, won't it? Like, um, <laughs> don't, know, don't know how that would go. Um, so, we're on the bridge. Uh, there's a lizard and it's killing people. Uh, not really. He's trying to find... Um, uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name again? Jurassic Park guy? Jurassic World guy? Imrani? <laughs> <laughs> Did I only just say that like five minutes ago? I can't even remember. <laughs> the echidna is giving me memory loss now. Like, what is happening here? Uh, so he's on the bridge. He's waiting to go kill old people. Colin's favourite thing to do. And the, there's a traffic jam and everyone's screaming. It's a lizard. He's ripping shit. Now, for somebody who just turned into a lizard... He's um, angry. Like, would you be this angry if you turned into a lizard straight away? I don't know. I've never turned into a lizard. But uh, <laughs> that's a really weird question to ask you. Colin, would you be this angry if you turned into a lizard? <laughs> I was the last time it happened. Okay, good. And more. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he's ribbing it. Imrani's scared. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Imrani. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. Why do I keep breaking out into weird fits of laughter? Uh, so he... <laughs> Basically, he's throwing everybody off this, and here comes Peter, amazing Spider-Man. You know, he's saving everybody with the webs, and he doesn't get the lizard. What a shame. But then we get this scene of, you know, my baby, my baby, but it's my boy, my boy. Um, he's fallen off the bridge. Help, my kid is trapped. 
Um, and he, he only cares about this one kid. I mean, there are other people in cars dangling off the bridge, but the only one that is going to catch fire and is worth saving is this kid. Look, it's a nice... Because it's the only one that's actually on fire. Well, it wasn't on fire when he went down, was it? Like, what if in the middle of saving this kid, Imrani's car catches fire? Like, you know... But he's not a child. But it, that's it's still not the point, all right? Children don't always... <laughs> Shut up, Dad! Um, <laughs> you, Here's the overprotective father. You're all, you're all thinking about... It's always about the children. It's about the fucking children, all right? <laughs> Us who don't have children don't care about them, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're okay with them burning to death. You're you're fine with grannies dying. I'm fine with children dying, okay? <laughs> it's a thing. Um, Spider-Man saves the kid. He also reveals himself. He does that a lot in this movie, I feel. <laughs> like You were saying before about how, you know, it wasn't really a thing back in the day with revealing superheroes, but this time around, no, Peter Parker just, hey, run on Spider-Man. He's blogging about it. My life is Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but, you know, saves the kid. It's a great scene. Yay, this guy might come back into it uh, later on. Why not? Um, I, I guess... Like the Ganali. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I feel just given that you like to gloss over the lizard so much, I'm just going to stop just for this scene here. I mean, there's not a whole lot really to add, I guess. But talk about this scene quickly while I catch up to where I'm actually up to after this. Here's here's the funny thing. This is the scene I was most excited about talking about because it might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. (laughs) Yeah, this is... And not because of the lizard. I think that the lizard part's very brief, but it's the scene with the kid hanging that you're talking about. (laughs) And I remember this being in one of the trailers. It's the opening of one of the trailers. And I probably said this two or three times throughout the the course of this podcast, but it was like the first thing that really won me over (laughs) that this movie might be something different because I just love the idea that he's taking the mask off and, you know, here, put it on. It'll make you strong. Like it's such a heroic moment and it's different from what we've seen before. Like you said, he takes his mask off a lot. Yeah. Uh, But this kid's not going to know who he is. I mean, this kid's not Snapchatting, you know, (laughs) Spider-Man saving me in the middle of his burning vehicle. Um, I don't know if Snapchat was here at this point, but still the kids, the kids not going to be doing that. And it's just, it's, it's a really great moment with, uh, uh, Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker, I guess, realizing, okay, there's more to just saving people than having superpowers. You have to convince them. How do you convince them to climb up, you know, in a burning vehicle and everything? And I just think the whole scene's really effective. I always forget the whole lizard part of this. I don't even know how much of a fight there is. Because it's this one part that always sticks out for me, and it's the only part I ever really remember. But I love this scene. It's, um, yeah, look, I'm not saying I don't like it. It just, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's there. You still need to think. It's, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the episode, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, what do we have from here? So basically, at this point, um, Parker, Peter, Spider Man, Andrew Garfield, he goes and visits, uh, Kurt doesn't hit this point. Oh, there's a bit there with his kissing M- uh, MJ. God, no. Uh, Gwen. Uh, they get the whole, oh, you're an amazing kisser scene. That's not necessary. Whatever. Cool. Um, well. Or you think it's. Let, let's. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a more to it than that. I mean, he comes to her room in the middle of the night, takes his shirt oh, off, that's he cleans shit. his See, look, look, this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm just, I'm so, 
I'm, we're at the point of this episode now where I'm like, holy fuck, we've got so much of this movie to go. I'm wasting time talking about, like, berating you for not talking about Lizard. And yet here I am going over <laughs> the like, sexual chemistry of being a person dabbing wounds. <laughs> yeah, you're like, let's talk more about Re-Siphon. Yeah. To- not Tobey Maguire. Andrew Garfield gets his shirt off here and gets felt up by Emma Stone. You're like, more about Re-Siphons, please. Well, look, it's the most sexual scene I've ever seen of somebody attending to somebody's wounds, you know? I mean, I never watched Grey's yeah. Anatomy and that was only about, like, sexual chemistry, not medical stuff. I don't know. Um, is this a bit where Dennis Leary knocks on the door and he's all like, oh, yes. you wanted to live in a chocolate castle. Like, that was a week ago. That was, yes. I like, that's funny. I'll give it that, yep. <laughs> no, that whole scene's great. Um, uh, I mean, I actually prefer the stuff with Dennis Leary over, you know, her feeling him up and cleaning his wounds. But I, and I just like that there's a little bit more drama here. Um I still feel that Peter's too confident with her. I'd like him to be a little bit awkward, not stuttering, but still a little bit more awkward here. Uh, He's got a boner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's got a spider boner. Uh, But yeah, like the, um, the, the whole part with, her being like, uh, I, uh, I, um, um, I have cramps <laughs> and I'm bloaty and it's just terrible. And he's like, okay, okay, all right. No more. One way Nothing to shut a man said, up, okay. women, is you you make references <laughs> to that and we back away. <laughs> exactly. It's such a funny scene. I think every guy has been there at some point. And it's something you don't see in a movie. Like, uh, let's give credit to, I don't know if, you know, it was a Mark Webb idea, one of the many screenwriters on this, but something you don't see in movies where it's like, you know, I- I'm sure every girl out there has tried this at one point. It's like, what do you need to do to get in trouble? Oh, have a period. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nothing else needs to be said. Like the hardest detective in all of New York city is like, Hey, don't need to say anything else. But yeah, like you said, there's fun lines in there about, uh, you wanted to live in a chocolate castle and everything. <laughs> and it's also just what I'm wanting more out of Peter for. I think they keep giving to Gwen here is just these slightly embarrassing yeah. moments where, you know, she's she's trying to cover up for the fact that it's kind of an embarrassing thing. You know, uh, her, her dad interrupting this and talking about living in this chocolate ice cream factory or whatever. But little scenes like that would have been fun to have for Peter. But I like that they're giving it to Gwen because, again, it goes against type. That at least Peter here, she doesn't look like she's awkward. She doesn't look like, you know, she would have trouble landing a guy. But she clearly is uncomfortable still. And I think that's realistic. I, I do like the bit when she looks at the spider and she's like, it's so beautiful. It's a fucking spider. <laughs> like, you know, if that was MJ, I'd believe it because it's probably a male spider. But, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. Uh, so I'm glad you called me out the fact that we missed that scene. Uh, but from here, let's lump a bunch of these together. All right, here we go. You ready for this? You ready for this? I'm going to lump. Yo, can I quickly go, yes, point out one more thing? Please. <laughs> Just get in bread, but um, interrupt me. Okay. Uh. <laughs> when, uh, oh, no, sorry. I did jump ahead. That scene comes later. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it because he got attacked by the lizard. What the fuck, right. Colin Hilding? Let's see when Electro no, rips up all the wires in Times Square in this movie. <laughs> Isn't it great? When Tom Holland and Iron Man join forces for the first time. <laughs> um, no, well, hey, we got a scene out of the way. <laughs> uh, you just did eighty percent of my job. Yeah. But that was a great scene. It would have been it would have been well placed here as well. Though I, I'm thinking about the other scene where they're like you t- the spider where they're on the the football field and there's the part where he he throws the ball. But there's that scene that was in all the trailers that was kind of funny. That's cut where 
uh, he throws the ball and they say something about him playing football. He goes, no, too dangerous. And then they show all the clips of him being Spider-Man and stuff. I just kind of missed that that scene wasn't it. There's always those moments in trailers that end up getting cut from the movie. And maybe it's only in there for the trailer. But I just I like that one line. And the fact that the scene just ends with him throwing it and then the the you know, football poster, whatever is bent. And they just have kind of have this awkward look. It's just not as effective. I would have liked that line in there. Yeah. I've actually reading my notes here and I kind of, I was kind of a slightly confused when you were going over <laughs> that. Cause then I've also noticed, and this makes sense now where I've got the line here, nobody notices the ball and post. And I'm reading here going, yeah, what the ball, what I didn't see Peter's balls in this scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what's happening in this episode this episode is just fucked um all right so again doing my stretches warming up um actually no that is a point though like nobody notices them like knocking that that bar like what happens at that scene after that scene like um dude you just threw a ball that far and bent it like what's wrong with you they have to see the ball going towards him i mean they wouldn't be very good football players if they're not following where the ball's going well clearly their high school team sucks (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all right. So, from here, we get Peter going to Kurt again. And Kurt's all weird and, you know, fidgety and re-siphonsy. Um, and we get this weird whole sequence of, what, him dropping all one-liners about, I hear there's a new species, uh, you know, predator. It can be aggressive if threatened. And I th- do, you, do you find this a bit cheesy? Please tell me that's not just me. No, it is very cheesy. Okay. Um, my bigger issue with this scene is that Peter's coming to him for advice. Here's a guy that can build web shooters on his own. <laughs> he can solve this equation that all of Oscorp couldn't, but he comes to him with a question saying, how do you trap a predator? <laughs> it's like, I think that you could read, like, I don't know, the encyclopedia for children Be and it. find the answer to that. Why is he coming? Yeah, Bing it. I even wrote that in my notes. I'm like, where's Bing now, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) Because he says, uh, I need some advice on tracking reptiles or how does a predator track a reptile? This should just be like, how do you not know this, Peter? This is like one of those people on Facebook who like they legitimately have their status updates as what's the score in the football? Oh, what time (laughs) is Walmart open till tonight? Okay, in the time it's taking you to post that, Google or Bing, what time does yeah. Walmart close tonight? Boom, boom, boom. There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Attention-seeking little shits. All right. Um, so here we also discover... Fr- Look at that. You got me to say something on a Kurt Connors scene. All right. Well done. See, I'm, I'm using my magic. The echidna is words working for good. Um, Freddy, <laughs> this, we see Freddy is a killer rat. My question here is, what happens to Freddy? Like, mm-hmm. like what? What? I like I I'm seriously bemused at this point because this is a fucking rat that has just consumed whatever that was at Wilma or whatever it's called. And it, Peter, Spider Man, save the city, yay, just basically goes, Oh cool, we'll leave that there. Now that rat is going to fucking terrorize people just like the lizard did. It's got the same fucking sequence. Where is the, the spin off movie, no pun intended with the webs, of like evil rat man taking over New York City? <laughs> And why does Connor's powers fade every once in a while and Freddy the Rats are there and he just gets more ravenous and more deadly? Exactly. Exactly. All right. I want the, I want this re-edited with, like, after, you know, Kurt goes to jail. Spoiler alert. I know we're not there yet. We'll get there in about another four hours at this rate. Um, I, I want to see the rat at Oscorp 
You know, like Gwen's in that cupboard and it's what meanwhile she's like, Oh, what's on my leg? She looks down, half her leg's missing because Freddie <laughs> has fucking consumed her leg. Uh, <laughs> Done, I'm on. All right, I'll good. Use your editing skills, Colin. Um <laughs> Peter then goes to see Dennis Leary. Uh <laughs> Stop getting old. Um, <laughs> basically warns him, you know, you should check into Connors. I think he's more to him. And, uh, you know, I like how uh, Dennis Leary does. <laughs> he does have a character name, but as you know, on the Oz Network, we just say they're actors. Um, <laughs> I do like how he's basically making Godzilla references about, like, yeah, giant dinosaurs. Look like the mayor of Tokyo. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and then, so Peter Lee's, there's a bunch of lizards crawling on the subway because, you know, every time I've been to New York, all I see are lizards in New York. Um, and I've also noticed when he looks at the, the Daily Bugle, this is, here you go, insight into the journalism industry. You know you were waiting for it. Uh, the Daily Bugle has turned into a broadsheet note now, and it's not a tabloid. It's a more serious newspaper than in the uh, Sam Raimi trilogy. So there you go. Um, I actually really like this sequence in the sewers. I love it when he gets his uh, the webs through all those tunnels. I think that looks really cool. And he's just kind of like laying there playing, what is it, like fucking Candy Crush or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, and we sort of, is this where we're getting cuts to with uh, Connor's, you know, videoing himself, you know, waiting to star in the Lizard reality yeah. show or something like that. Um, and then, so he sets up the cameras. Uh, all these lizards come towards him. He has this battle with uh, the lizard, hence where the scratches come from, hence where we're about to see Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense now, doesn't it? Uh, and through this, of course... The scratch is not burn marks. <laughs> he, he happens to just have a property of Peter Parker on his camera. Now, this is, this is my... Like, can I just point out? That is something that I can imagine geeky Peter Parker doing, right? Like a Tobey Maguire yeah. Peter Parker doing. No, I have no problems with that. I have a problem with it. They've got this in an Andrew Garfield Peter Parker movie because Andrew Garfield, again, is that cool geek and I don't see an Andrew Garfield geek Peter Parker doing that again i don't know if that's just me but i like a weird oh, little I, quirk yeah okay completely agree cool all right uh so <laughs> through that yet- mark webb should be fired for that <laughs> what a mistake we get sexy wound cleaning scene we've already been over that <laughs> <laughs> um and what have we got here i, would, I love gwen's line, actually just going back over that easy bug boy like clearly when he's like about to get it on um, so, oh, yeah, and they, they that nice little spinning scene, don't they, through, you know, he's, like, taking her through the, the streets of New York. It yeah. reminded me of, um, Superman Returns, when he takes, uh, Kate, mm-hmm. is it Beckinsale or Bosworth? Which Kate's in that movie? Bosworth. Bosworth, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it reminded me of that. So, from here, uh, we get, obviously, Lizard going on and totally doing a Willem Dafoe moment of Green Goblin or Parker, oh, we can't go after him, but instead of, you know, the whole, go after his heart, it's like, let's just go to his school. Uh, so <laughs> let's terrorize children <laughs> i actually do like this whole sequence though like it's fun a school getting destroyed but um you know this great fire sequence it's great special effects so i don't think we've really mentioned that too much but yeah it's great how this is all done um now my question is does does peter always because they're artificial webs right does he always have to wear them yeah. like because he just happens to have mm. them on him yeah, are they under his sleeves? Well, yeah, well, um, like, does he I always have to wear long that. sleeves? Like this is again my my weird quirk about the great comic book because clearly this is a comic book thing. <laughs> but like again, how? I mean, 
how bad are his pit stains <laughs> where he's wearing these bulky sweaters <laughs> to cover up for his web shooters all the time? It's like you never see Bruce Wayne just, you know, uh, bat grapple hook as Bruce Wayne, do you? Like, he needs the bat suit. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. This is just, again, comic book geeks out there who know all the ins and outs of Spider-Man. I would love to know how they go about this. Anyway, but we, he's got them. doesn't matter. He's got them. He's at school. Yep. He has his webs. We get this great fight. Um, you know, Gwen's in there. She tries to stand up and she gets... I do like the... I'm going to throw out the window now. What? Um, and we obviously get... Um, <laughs> what was that, Ben? Uh, we get Stan Lee in there. Uh, <laughs> music teacher. It's a fun scene. It's a bit over the top, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> Again, I've written here, how does anybody not see any of this? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, like, also, thinking of this, like, you've been to... I mean, you went to school. I hope you got an education. But, like, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure in Canada they would have fire drills where, you know, you would go outside and then the teacher would kind of check you all off the list. Like, Colin, you're here, you know, yeah. Jim, whatever. So, like, I'm sure at some point they've evacuated this school because, I mean, clearly there's a giant lizard attacking the school. Like, yes, fucking run. Um... Do they not do a check? Like, where's where's Parker? 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 Where's Peter Parker? Like, you know. <laughs> Again, not liked. Um, and I'm going to stop here just before, uh, I guess we'll close all the end bit together because that's when I've written here, Lizards, NYPD turns into Lizards. Cool. Um, yeah. I've probably missed a lot here. Uh, have I missed a mm. lot here? No. Um, oh, no, hang on. I mean, we get. Oh, actually, I will say sorry. The what do we get? Uh, Con- Connor's whole line about human beings are weak. Why be human at all? Oh no, that's a video. Because no, hang on. No, Peter goes through the sewers, doesn't he? That's right. Sorry. Yeah, that's next. There we go. This yeah. is why. This is again. I just well, losing track. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I'll just say this, and then I'll let you go. So basically, from this point. Peter runs outside, sees Gwen, he buggers off down the sewers. No, he doesn't even do that. He calls her on the phone. That too. Uh, he's going through the sewers. <laughs> I have seen this movie, people. Uh, he's going through the sewers, <laughs> finds Kurt's lair, the evil lizard lair, and of course there's just the convenient video ready for him to press play of his evil plan, you, you know, James Bond Evil Villains 101. Uh, and essentially we're seeing that Kurt's been taken over by this lizard so much, he's realised that lizards are the strongest things around, lizard, hybrid, human man, whatever he is. So he's now going to get that dispersing device we conveniently saw before, and he's going to turn New York City into lizards. There you go. I've explained the plot of Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with that bit and kind of work backwards because... I think for a long time, this is not giving away my overall opinion, but for a long time, I always looked at this as uh, Spider-Man 2 is the ultimate for me. And then I always had a hard time deciding between Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 1 again, as this could have been called, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. But the plot is where I think this one really loses out because it's introduced very late in the movie and... It, it none of it really makes a lot of sense. The motivation for Lizard doesn't make a lot of sense. Another reason why I don't think that Lizard's that great of a villain, even though I always liked Lizard in the comics, it's just a big monster. A couple of downsides are that Lizard is just a giant beast that he's fighting. He doesn't have, you know, eight mechanical arms. He doesn't have a glider. Um, doesn't he? He's not. He's not Venom. He's just you know, a giant monster and there's no real powers other than the fact that he just rips people apart. (laughs) So it may be interesting if this were really Spider-Man one, but having seen three movies prior to this, he's not that exciting. And when you add on top of that, his entire motive and the plot behind this, just not making any sense. I think that this movie does lose a lot of points uh, for the story and for the plot. 
Um, not to mention just how random everything becomes after this. But so much good stuff here. We already talked about all the scenes with Dennis Leary. The one Dennis at the Leary. police station is great. Dennis Leary, Sorry. who is in this movie, <laughs> not just a stand-up comedian, also a serious actor who loves scenes on PMS and uh, racial jokes about Japanese people <laughs> being the only ones who ever see monsters. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's. I feel like it makes Peter look really stupid because P- how is Peter so dumb that he doesn't think showing up? Like, shouldn't he at least preface it by saying, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but there is a giant lizard in this city. Like, he's smart enough to know that he's not going to believe him, nor should this he. This isn't Smallville uh, say, where oh, yeah. this is just a common thing. This yeah. is New York City 2012, pre-supervillains yeah. taking over the city, okay? <laughs> but credit to Dennis Leary for not just doing your typical movie thing where it's like, you're a crazy kid, now get out of my police precinct. You know, <laughs> Instead, he's actually he's saying what the audience would be saying in reality. He's like, Okay, um, you're telling me that my daughter's mentor, who wrote a nice letter of recommendation for her to go to Harvard, <laughs> is secretly a lizard killing people in sewers. You know, it, it makes no sense, nor does Lizard's motive, so I guess we're on board with him. Um, but I still love the scene. I love anything with Dennis Leary in it, and anything with Andrew Garfield and Dennis Leary is fantastic. Uh, the scene at the school... I think that the fight, as brief as it is, I always forget how good it is. And another area where I want to credit not just the way Mark Webb handles Spider-Man swinging through the streets, you know, using real practical stuntmen, shooting it in the POV, making it look different. Even the fight scenes are different. And I give him a lot of credit for having a villain that is very one-dimensional. He's just a monster that's fighting and finding interesting ways to use Spider-Man's powers, like where Spider-Man's kind of swinging around him and webbing him all over the place is just something different we haven't seen before. I'm going to say the Stan Lee cameo, you know, as cheesy and ridiculous as it is, it might be my favorite Stan Lee cameo of all time. Uh, It cracks me up every time I see it. It's so perfect for him. You would never expect it. And it's one of the ones I think that's most memorable when people talk about Stan Lee cameos. Nobody could ever remember what Stan Lee cameo is in what movie, but people are always like, what was the one where he was the librarian and there's a fight going on behind him? So it's 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 hands down my favorite Stanley cameo. I'm gonna put that up there. Um, yeah, what else was there we talked about? <laughs> uh, we, Connor's lab. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Is this new or is this old? Did like we know that Ben Parker, not Ben Parker, <laughs> Uncle what? Ben, the real villain of this piece, <laughs> um, Richard Parker, the man, not Tiger, that he has this underground subway lab or whatever that we find in the next movie spoiler if you haven't seen that yet is this something that richard uh why do you keep mix up the names not richard parker <laughs> resiphons <laughs> see this is what happens when we try to remember people's names <laughs> is this something that resiphons has as well that he just has because i can't imagine him hauling the equipment down there like that would take several trips i mean you got the monitor first and then he's got, like, the keyboard and the mouse, and then he's got the computer, and then he's got to bring a desk down there. Hmm. I mean, is he just, like, waiting till nobody's looking, and then he lifts up a sewer cover and carries it down there? Or is this something that he set up? Like, it's an honest question that I thought about when Spider-Man 2 came out, that it makes the most sense that they all have these secret labs underground somewhere. Yeah. So, any opinion on that? I, I, I guess I kind of, the only thing I sort of thought of that at one point was, like, why does he? Why do they always need to go on the sewers? Like, I mean, I guess it's kind of you know the whole thing, the hiding and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's kind of 
it is. It, I mean, this is, I think, what it's fun about doing these episodes, and people probably hate us for this, but it's like you, they're really over nitpicking at little things like that. Like, you yeah. go into a movie and watch this just for fun, but like, we're the type of people that are legitimately going to go, yeah, well, what? How's he built? Like, does he have internet down there? Like, I mean, like, seriously? Like, does it. <laughs> Does he sleep down there? Like, does he go up to Macca's and grab a burger and just sit and chill on his computer and watch some Netflix in between, you know, creating evil videos about creating everyone into lizards? Where is his Wi-Fi coming from? Who is from? he? Is he stealing from a Starbucks, <laughs> you know, up just like 20 feet above? Who is he? Where's his Wi-Fi from? Uh, I, I did, in the in the midst of talking about this, though, I did miss uh, the the scene in the sewer where Peter's down there. And that's another thing that I think I love that Mark Webb did that we didn't get enough of in the original. In the original, Peter is always just reacting to whatever threat the villain throws out there, uh, which usually just is, hey, I kidnapped your girlfriend. But he's never (laughs) trying to solve anything. Uh, There's no point in Spider-Man 1 where he's like, whoever this Green Goblin, he has that line, whoever he is, I have to stop him. And then he makes no effort to find out who the Green Goblin is or stop him until he comes and attacks his grandma or his aunt or whatever. (laughs) Same thing with the other movies. In this, we have Peter Parker on the case. And that's one of the reasons I love Batman versus Superman that people don't give it enough credit to. We have Batman as a detective in that, and we have Peter Parker, like, I'm going to have this master plan, have these webs all over the sewers, and I'm going to wait... You know, for the webs to vibrate, and I'm going to have this hidden camera up there with my awkward 1980s label maker (laughs) label on there with my name. He probably has his underwear labeled, too, like, property of Peter Parker, uh, 362 whatever street, Brooklyn. (laughs) Don't you, Colin? Don't you? (laughs) Mine also says property of Peter Parker, 362. You just want to make everyone believe that you're Spider-Man, of course. course. (laughs) Yes. Um, But... Yeah, I love him on the case in the sewers. And there's one really funny line, like when he gets sucked through the sewer and everything, where he just goes, oh, that sucked. And it's just like one of these random lines. It just is so funny to hear Spider-Man say, that sucked. <laughs> and you would never hear Tobey Maguire say that line. Like, little things that Andrew Garfield brings that at least something fresh. Yeah, actually, it's a very good point. I've never thought about that way. But yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, I mean, like kind of going back to when we're talking about the Sam Raimi ones, you know, I think they're what more comic booky, I guess, and just kind of to the point. Yeah. And I guess also you can put a lot of that down to, I guess, you know, how they were making comic book movies in 2002 compared to 2012, of course. But yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, the one thing I will say, I've, I've got to start a running, I've literally got to start a running list of uh, moments that people hate us. So uh, the fact that we say the Star Wars prequels are good, uh, the fact that we say Batman and Robin isn't too bad, Batman vs Superman has got good points to it. <laughs> like, I like Batman vs Superman too, all right. Again, I'm with you. So. Good. Yeah. Um, we are the ad. Yes. Yeah. We're advocates. That's what we are. We are. We are the hipster podcasts. <laughs> you think we're going to bash like these movies? Hate. We're not. <laughs> um, all right. So let's basically just go over the whole finale here. So, uh, again, only on the Oz Network where we spend like three hours going over the boring bits. And when it comes to the most exciting <laughs> climax in Spider-Man movie history, we will get it over and done within five minutes. Uh, so... Basically, from here, uh, we get Gwen on the phone to Peter, is Spider-Man, and what he's basically... He knows Connor's his lizard at this point, and he's going to get the dispersing, dispersing device. And Gwen's still going to go to Oscorp, despite what Peter says. I do love him on the phone. Like, Spider-Man on the phone, it's kind of funny. And then when she just, like, hangs up, and like, I'll get everyone out. 
Oh, you mother hubbard, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I love that he also says it earlier. That's an order. Yes. Like, she's in this chain of command. <laughs> Again, douchey Peter Parker, everybody. Um, <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, it's just, oh, God, it's... Anyway, but um, we then get... The, the police are after Peter at this point, because clearly they're still trying to get Spider-Man. You know, who cares about this giant lizard turning everyone into lizards? As long as we get the Spider-Man. Uh, he gets yeah. shot by a stun gun, and we get this kind of uh, cool little scene. It's 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 very well shot. Uh, you know, obviously the big reveal, they're going to reveal his face and pull up. Here comes Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary! Um, Dennis Leary! Off a helicopter. Does he, does he rappel down the rope as well? Did I miss this? Because it's just kind of like he just, you know... I- didn't notice. He's not. No. So, hang on. I think I said before he's a chief of police. I don't think he's like the. He's just captain, isn't he? He's like the captain of that. He's precinct. a captain, Stacey. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not like the New York City chief of police. He's just that precinct. Yeah. Or however they do the James Cromwell might have been, yeah. but not Dennis. <laughs> no, no, Colin. <laughs> the chief of police will always be Tom Selleck. Hashtag Watch Blue Bloods. Um, <laughs> actually, probably don't. You wouldn't like it. Um, but. <laughs> You hate Third Watch, so you'll hate Blue Bloods. Uh, nobody watches Blue Bloods, let's be honest. I'm the only person that keeps that show going. I don't know why, but hey, cool. It's got cops in it. Yeah, you are the sole reason that show has not been cancelled. Tom Selleck loves me. Donnie Wahlberg, we're besties, all right? We just chill. It's it's a thing. Uh, but we get the reveal of the of Peter being Spider-Man. Shock horror, I didn't see that coming. Um, and he kind of, he, he finally wakes up and does his cool little wah, 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 wah. You know, he's uh, he's very uh, Elliot Carver. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets that reference. Hashtag right download 007. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, Dennis, Dennis Leary realises it's Peter Parker, and then he obviously tells him, Gwen's in Oscorp, and this is happening. There's a giant lizard. Get to, get to it. So he lets him go, gets to Oscorp. Meanwhile, Gwen's in there, not getting attacked by Freddy the Rat. Uh, she's in the closet. Not in the way you think. Get your mind out of the gutter, people. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Lizard's attacking. Gets a dispersing advice, device. It's probably got some advice in there, too. Goes Ganali. <laughs> that, yes. Goes to the roof. Gets ready. In the meantime, we also have seen him turn some NYPD officers into lizards before. <laughs> just <laughs> just yeah. in case we missed over that. Um, I, I, one thing I've written here, I really do like the the piano music when she's in the cupboard and there's like a jump scare. But there's that there's sort of that yeah. tense piano music that's going on. That's really really cool. Um, in the meantime, Gwen has successfully created an antidote in Oscorp while he's on the roof, getting ready to gas New York City. He's going all Hitler on everyone. Um, and yeah, we get the the climactic fight on the top of the roof. Uh, here comes Dennis Leary with a shotgun, and uh, I-, I like this fight sequence. It's pretty cool. Um, and even the bit when he sort of, like, he gets the, the antidote into the the thing that you keep calling it, the Ganali or whatever Ganali. it is. Ganali. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't I can't even remember fucking the, the dude from Jurassic World's name, let alone that thing. Isn't his name Ganali? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um <laughs> And essentially he gets the antidote there in time, so it it disperses all of the antidote over New York City, so the five NYPD officers who were lizards are now officially humans again. Yay! I'm so glad for that. And uh, also Connors obviously gets cured too. Uh, he saves his life from hanging over the roof. Fantastic. Meanwhile, though, Dennis, Dennis Leary has been stabbed. <laughs> no, not Dennis Leary! Um... <laughs> And uh, he dies, uh, sadly. But at the same time, he also gives uh, this, you know, stirring speech. You know, oh, I thought you were this, but you're that. And that's exactly what he said. Um, and <laughs> says, the city needs you. But then, of course, we get the don't, don't fuck my daughter, essentially. 
<laughs> promise me. Which, look, let's be honest, he doesn't say the words, I promise. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and basically from there we get um, another funeral scene. Well, can, we, can we cap it? Oh, you want cap me to cap it, it there? Okay, bit. fine. All right, yeah. getting ahead of myself. Uh, hashtag <laughs> poor Dennis Leary. There, that's how I'll say. Um. Okay, so there's lots of good stuff in here. Um, the the thing with the Captain Stacy, I think if people were fans of the comic and they know the story of Gwen Stacy, uh, which we talked about briefly in Spider-Man One, then also Captain Stacy's part of that because what we see here with him dying in the climax is straight out of the comics. And knowing they were going for a trilogy, I think most people were assuming that the first movie would introduce the characters, the second one would have captain stacy die and then you'd finally get gwen's story arc in the third one and they jump the gun here which i think was a nice surprise but it's also it has that nice moment where he finds out he's spider-man because that was the deal with captain stacy in the comics is he was like the first person who knew peter parker was spider-man and decided he was going to work with him instead of working against him and so they, they kept that in here and i think it's handled really well considering you know they're at odds for most of the movie when all of a sudden they're working together it's just it's it's kind of fun and i think they both it, it doesn't feel rushed or awkward the way a lot of stuff in this movie does um when peter gets shot the scene with the cranes mm. um, that's another one yes. with, i love that sequence uh and it, <laughs> it's the one like yeah it's <laughs> it's the one it, coincidentally this is also the part in the movie where gwen stacy cleans peter's yes gunshot yes wound. it just happened to be in there uh while he was flying You're through the air and kid. his bestie from before yeah. from the bridge is fixing all the cranes yep <laughs> but yeah this crane scene is fantastic you, you asked me about this back during spider-man uh three which one was the better crane scene this one by far and i know it's cheesy uh, but you need a bit of that in the Spider-Man movie, especially when it's taking itself much more seriously. You know, bringing back that guy, it's its a fun moment. Uh, the music you also mentioned earlier that you didn't like the score for this. I agree with you, but disagree with you. And one of my first reactions to this movie was, I love the movie, but I hate the score. And the thing, way the thing that happened is, in between me seeing it, I think, on the Tuesday and going back that Saturday, so like a few days later is that as much as I hated the score, I saw this movie once and I could not get the main theme out of my head, you know, that plays mm. during, like, the crazy, the... Yeah, I was the same, yep. Yeah, and no matter what I could do, I couldn't get out of my head, and I still don't care for the score as a whole. And that theme, I don't even think the theme is that great. I think that it's it's recycled. Like James Horner, who did the music for this, probably next to only John Williams, maybe the most famous composer of like the last you know few decades. I mean, Danny he did Elfman. Oh, <laughs> I would go James Horner a little bit bigger. I, I mean, say, Braveheart, yeah, yeah Titanic, uh, Star Trek, Willow. Everybody loves Willow score. Yeah. But, this just sounds like every, it sounds like a little bit of Avatar, a little bit of the Karate Kid, like everything he'd done around this time period sounded exactly the same. But I could never get that theme out of my head, and I had it as the ringtone on my phone <laughs> for a good year, I think. Um, so I don't know what it is. I just love the theme, and it works really well with that crane scene, and also having Peter Parker hurt. Uh, that's something you know we 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 get like Tobey Maguire fighting with the villains, but you know the fact they had him like crawling on the buildings and the newscast of course these newscasts are like we don't think spider-man's gonna make it in time it's always kind of like cheesy and cartoony but i love it 
the fight scene with Lizard, like all the other fight scenes, they find an interesting way to film it. I love the scene with, you know, the, I guess you would call it the Michael Myers scene where she's uh, in the closet and there's that jump scare, like you said, with the music. I, 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 um, for a moment there, I'm thinking, like, I didn't know Austin Powers was in this film. Like, <laughs> what? Michael Myers. Oh, Michael. Michael, right. Um, but the climax is also great. And even though the plot really doesn't make sense, like, why does Lizard want to turn everybody else into lizards you know he suddenly thinks well we're going to be a superior race but the idea is that you're taking out peter even has that line early in the movie where he's saying you know will the new species eventually take over how much will it take over and that's kind of what this whole plot is built on i've never seen a lizard you know have a master plot i mean they just (laughs) go around eating flies so the idea that him becoming a lizard gives him this master Hitler plan where he wants to create this master race of lizards makes absolutely no sense. Uh, nor is it really a good visual seeing these police officers have their faces contorted and start to go green. It's just nothing about it works. But I think if you write out the whole thing about turning into lizards, if this were something where he was just going to poison the whole city, I think this climax is near perfect. Because the moment where the whole tower collapses and Peter's falling, it's a great effect. Um, the, the part where Kurt Connors, a.k.a. Re-Siphons, um, is reaching down his crumbling arm. Such a great moment. And then, of course, like the Captain Stacy speech at the end, you know, uh, making him promise not to sleep with his daughter, like you said. <laughs> That's basically uh, what it is. Are all such- <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's not MJ, all right? <laughs> But, but like, it's it's so well done, and if it wasn't for the little thing of this plot makes no sense, and it's kind of ridiculous, I, I would argue it is maybe the most exciting climax in Spider-Man history. You know, I think the greatest sequence is the train sequence in Spider-Man 2, but as a whole, this climax would be near perfect. It's just that, that, that the plot had to get in the way. I just love the fact that the way you kind of knuckle this down, it's like the plot of this movie is about a giant lizard turning people into lizards. <laughs> and can I put out another thing? I don't know if this is a plot hole and maybe I missed something, but why does Connors make that comment about Peter Parker? It's like everybody leaves you, you know, your uncle, your parents, Poor your uncle Peter Ben. Parker. At what point does Peter say to him, I had an uncle that died, by the way. Yeah. Like, they never have that conversation. It's just like Maybe the Norman Osborn-Peter Parker relationship. They're besties. They're just, yeah. They've got such chemistry uh, that they just automatically know each other. Yeah. Have you ever met someone, Colin, where you just know that person straight away? Clearly, it's Jamie because you're so in love. But, like, it's you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say you. but <laughs> Colin. I know it's been a long time coming, but, oh, that's so sweet. Or Andrew Garfield, one of the two. No, fuck Andrew Garfield, all right? <laughs> we had a moment there. Or Dennis Henry. Um, I didn't hear what you just said. Did you say something funny there, or? <laughs> or Dennis Leary. All oh, right, Dennis Leary. Ha ha, hilarious. Um, now. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, stop being funny, like, six hours into this podcast. <laughs> oh, meanwhile, uh, day just became night as the time of recording this. Uh... <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming is in theaters now. Spider-Man Homecoming 3 is just being released. (laughs) (laughs) I think literally Casper, your son, just got announced as a new (laughs) Spider-Man. He just graduated from high school. He's found the cure for a kidna. 
<laughs> all within this one podcast. This is okay. This is a why we don't have listeners because they go, oh fuck, three hours of Spider Man, the you know again. We don't, need, and B if they do listen to it, it's like, oh my god, guys, just talk about the movie. I'm so angry at you right now. And how much longer would this be if I actually did talk about Connors as much as you want me to? <laughs> this is why we're never going to do Lord of the Rings, people. All right. <laughs> yes. Sorry for that. I'm not. I'm glad, but like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's a funeral. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be a Spider-Man movie without a funeral. Exactly. Um, meanwhile, Peter's gone home and he's got the eggs. That's nice. Are they organic, though? I've written here. <laughs> Are they organic? <laughs> They're crushed. I swear, mate, you should have just been a real bitch at that point and gone, I said organic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take, don't, just, just go to sleep, Aunt May. Go, 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 go to sleep, Aunt May. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, yes, great. It's, it's nice. They hug, I think. Um, but <laughs> where have you been? This is kind of yeah. I think we know that Aunt May. I guess secretly knows that she's. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's revealed himself to everyone at this point. So clearly, probably. I mean, well, if we're connecting the dots, she freaks out when she sees him come home the first time, beat up. She's watching the news with Spider-Man on it. And when he comes home this time, there's not even a question about, you know, what's with that gunshot wound, you know? Yeah. So, obviously, I'm assuming she at least suspects, like, I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also, yeah, the funerals. I, lo- I love, do love that scene when they're all there with the umbrellas and kind of, you know, she gets rid of the umbrella and looks up. I mean, we see that a lot in movies and TV shows, I know, but... Um, that's still, I think, I think it looks nice. Then she comes over to Peter's house, you know. This is where she does turn into a bit of MJ. <laughs> My father died. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm being mean. Like, even when a parent dies, they don't have the right to be selfish. Yeah, exactly. God. Um, but, yeah, it's a nice little scene because, you know, he's just all like, you know, I can't do this, can't see you anymore. Uh, I've written here, dad dies, gets dumped. Pretty great day there for Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> Life's going peachy for Gwen Stacy at the moment. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Flash was there. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Back and B. Um, I, I thought you said something else there. That's why there was an awkward silence. That was weird. Um, all right, but then... <laughs> she goes, this is why the podcast is sour. She goes back to the... Again, we could edit this out, but, you know, clearly I didn't. Uh, <laughs> she... <laughs> Goes back to the car, you know, oh, he made you promise, didn't he? Doesn't say anything into the car. whoop de doo uh, But then, Aunt May, she's a pretty girl, isn't she? Or whatever she says. And that's what Uncle Ben said. Now, at this point, shouldn't Aunt May be like, excuse me? What? He's, he said she was pretty? Well, fuck him. <laughs> like, Good thing she didn't say, I've seen her on your computer. <laughs> so did Uncle Ben. <laughs> Lesbian Aunt May. Um... <laughs> Then we get the, the so basically the closing. I I don't want to take away from a very sweet Martin Sheen speech because you know he was the president of the United States. Um, but <laughs> do you, you get that? Jo- okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, West Wing. We get it. Expecting <laughs> more of a laughter there. Clearly, my material is dying at the four and a half hour mark. Um, <laughs> but like, okay, it's a it's a stirring speech to close off. You know, it's just the long winded with great power comes great responsibility. You know, so come home, Peter. To me, I'm picturing this as the fact that he left this as a voicemail message on the night that he was so angry with him when he got home. So why is he so calm and just like, like in any way, if you're late and like Jamie's trying to call you, like you're meant to pick Casper up from school and something like Jamie's waiting for you outside your apartment. Is she leaving you a message like, Colin, I know you're changing and this is a difficult time. 
But you've got to understand that this happens to everyone and you will grow strong. With great power comes great responsibility. So come home, Colin. No, she's going to be like, where the fuck are you and where are my organic eggs? <laughs> I just It takes me away from yeah. the moment that it's meant to be a sweet moment. Um, and then obviously Spider-Man's become a bit of a viral sort of thing around New York with the graffiti and obviously Flash is wearing the shirt and he's hugging Peter now and all that sort of stuff. Cool. Um, but then obviously we get that uh, lovely little moment between Gwen and Peter and, oh, you're late again, Parker. Oh, I promise won't happen again. Oh, you know, promises aren't meant... You don't make a promise you can't keep. And then, you know, oh, they're, but they're the best kind, you know, a little smirky smile. Ha-ha, I'm getting laid in a couple of days, Gwen thinks. Um, <laughs> and then obviously we get the credits, but... Spoiler alert, there's a post credit scene. Some people probably didn't realise this. I don't know if it was a thing. I didn't actually think I realised this until I saw it on DVD. <laughs> but it's basically, Connors is in jail and there's a mysterious dark figure who's basically, did you tell the boy about his father? You should leave him alone. Do, do, do. Uh, which I feel, does this even have a payoff? <laughs> I think it does a little bit in the second one. But anyway, yeah. uh, that's Amazing Spider-Man 2. We have probably taken about triple the amount of time the film actually is in runtime. But there we go. <sighs> yeah, um, I, I love the scene with Peter and Gwen and Aunt May, uh, especially Aunt May. And that scene, like, Sally Field really helped redeem a terrible character. <laughs> so uh, more power to her. Uh, my favorite thing here is just before, and I'm also, I'm not, you know, going to just skip over i i love the last scene you kind of said oh you know this nice little thing i love that last moment to go the, the, those are the best kind of promises or whatever the other yeah, ones i, you can't I, keep. I, will, I probably a, gelled over it a little bit much too i i'm gonna agree yeah. with everything you say here yeah yeah it's it's a really great moment to end it on um but uh we have the the, the cool scene where he you, we always have that final spider-man scene where he's flying through the air except for spider-man 3 thanks we get them <laughs> dancing looking miserable with each other. <laughs> they but were summing up the, the audience, final... Colin, according to you. <laughs> but the final one in this where he's slingshotting himself, and I still remember seeing it in 3D, and I wish this movie was brought up more for how good the 3D was in it, where he's moving like so slow motion towards the camera, and oh, then yeah. he's about to shoot. Yep. Oh, such a great final shot. In 3D, that was um, awesome, too. It was amazing, yeah. Uh, and, and the post credit scene, too, um, that's obviously setting up for the second one. It's a bit of a tease. I think that was the moment where everybody was like, I think they would have forgotten this. the fact that they promoted this as the untold story, you know, on the poster and everything. They would have forgotten it had they not put that scene in there. That scene is what ruined it and made people like, what a ripoff. We just sat through two hours and seven minutes of the untold story and didn't find out anything new. Um, I also find it funny that Kurt still has a bit of like a lizard gill on him, if you look. <laughs> Uh, the idea was obviously setting up for the Sinister Six movie, which we'll talk about more next time that never ended up happening. But it would have been fun if they did that. The one part I want to talk about is what the teacher says, where they say, you know, whoever will tell you there are 10 plots in all of fiction, I'm going to tell you there's only one. And the only thing running through my head is Peter Parker's bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> Uncle Ben dies because we've seen this movie over and over again. It's the only plot they're able to tell. Um, it's an appropriate moment to end the movie on, but you know, overall, I think the movie ends really strong. Uh, and yeah, that last shot especially is fantastic. Even in two D, it looks great. I just want to now that you brought that up. I, I did actually want to go into this thinking, what are the ten plots? Right, what is this ten plot thing? I've literally just googled ten plots in fiction. It comes up with the seven basic plots. Are basic, the basics of plot writing. 
Um, they are overcoming the monster. Okay, we got that. Yep. Um, <laughs> rags to riches. Eh, that's not really applicable to this, I feel. Um, the quest. Yes, got it. Voyage and return. Well, sure. Uh, comedy. Yeah, it's there. Uh, tragedy. Yes, of course. And rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah, so probably six out of the seven. Wait, wait. Rebirth or reboot? Rebirth. <laughs> that's added. Uh, Post 2010. That's a new one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> re- no, rebirth. Rebirth. Uh, we, should, we, should, we should add that to every single one of our episodes. Oh, God, no, they're long enough, Ben. Don't give ideas. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess kind of from this point on, um, we, we look at the reviews in the box office and we'll get some closing thoughts here and look ahead to Spider-Man 2, the amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, so I think as we've kind of established throughout these already, we know that each of the Spider-Man films basically grosses less than the previous one, and they have remained in that order. So as you would guess by that, that means that The Amazing Spider-Man is the fourth highest ranking in terms of box office, which still made a pretty good sum total of $262 million. Thirty dollars, uh, thirty thousand dollars, and six. Yeah, it made a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> While everybody out there likes to say, "Oh, these movies aren't making any money," that's still making more than half of the Marvel produced movies out there. Yeah. So for people who are like, "Oh, well, Sony." You know, their, their movies started flopping. I mean, I we'll get to it when we get to Homecoming. But I don't think Sony's move to, uh, you know, join up with Marvel had anything to do with them not making enough money. Because I think even The Amazing Spider-Man outgrossed several Marvel movies. Well, globally... Or like, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, well, globally, it also made an extra $495 million, So, more than, you know, pretty much double that. So, $757 million worldwide. Now, just, I'm just quickly looking here at 2012. Because um, I, I was, like, going over these, you know, what where it placed, I guess, in the year year i guess uh it was the seventh highest grossing film of 2012 did i say 2007 i meant 2012 um so this uh so you said above um the movies uh marvel movies i can't see here so the highest rating one that year was marvel's the avengers we had dark knight rises hunger games skyfall yay uh hobbit unexpected journey twilight saga breaking dawn part two Fuck off. Um, and the rest of the top ten was Brave Ted. I didn't realise that made that much money. And um, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. <laughs> of course. What a great film that was. Uh, reviews-wise, though, uh, I mean, this this got pretty pretty darn decent reviews, did it not? Um, I mean, just looking here at the uh, overall... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, uh, 72%, so third overall uh, of all the five Spider-Man films behind Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2. Uh, 66 on Metacritic and a cinema score of A-. Uh, do you have your, your favourite uh, Roger Ebert? Do you have his review there? usually have his handy, or am I putting you on the spot? Uh, I can find it quickly. Um, I can... His face is right here. <laughs> it's a pretty face, isn't it? Uh... Where does it... Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to point out on the, the topic of what it outgrossed. You know, people say Amazing Spider-Man, the gross was down and everything. It outgrossed both of the first two Captain America movies. Like, The Winter Soldier, which was like a massive hit, made less money than The Amazing Spider-Man domestically. Uh, it outgrossed X-Men The Last Stand, X-Men Days of Future Past. It outgrossed Doctor Strange. It outgrossed Logan. Uh, it outgrossed both Thor movies. So, I mean, it's it's a hit for a Spider-Man movie, but still huge. So, yeah, I don't think we can uh, 
say that there's anything wrong with the the growth at this point. It's just they set the bar so high with the first one that was hard to follow up. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, agree with you. Suicide Squad though made more money. <laughs> I love Suicide Squad. I actually haven't seen um, it yet. <laughs> ben. Roger Ebert. Um, interesting fact here. This was the final comic book movie that uh or at least marvel comic book movie that roger ebert ever reviewed ah. and if you remember spider-man 2 he actually placed it as his fourth best film of the entire year like of all movies not just you know oh this is the most fun fourth best like he would have put this as a best picture nominee if roger ebert had his choice that was spider-man 2 amazing spider-man uh put he felt the reboot provided better reasons for why peter parker adopts a superhero role uh, even if the origin story didn't need to be told once again, uh, he said it was probably the second best of the four Spider-Man movies behind only Spider-Man 2. Wow. Okay, there you go. Just looking at some of the awards, it wasn't nominated for an Academy Award, um, but I mean, it got nominated for a bunch of the two here that I can see it actually won. It won the IGN Summer Movie Award for Best 3D Movie, and it won the ASCAP Film and Television Music Award for Top Box Office Film for James Horner. Um, but so a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, your standards here, Teen Choice Awards, People Choice, Saturn Awards, Screen Actors Guild, Golden Trail Awards, Annie Awards. And I also noticed here that it was nominated for the, uh, I had it here and I've lost it. It was a, it was an interesting one here. Oh, the Golden Schmoes Award for the biggest disappointment <laughs> of the year. <laughs> hey, I want to just throw a credit out here. We talked about how using real practical stunts helped this movie it was nominated for a screen actors guild award for outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture kind of a silly category you know when you compare to like best picture or anything but still recognizing a superhero movie like this for stunts to be able to do a spider-man movie with real stunts i mean i'm glad it got credit for that i really love some of these awards that they have the alliance of women film journalists uh- <laughs> <laughs> It was nom- it was nominated for Betty Grant's in that one. <laughs> it was nominated for sequel or remake that shouldn't have been made. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Seriously, I think we should do an episode one day on just weird award shows. Anyway, all right, uh, let's uh, before we look to Amazing Spider-Man two. Obviously, we need to rate this. Uh, what are we doing here, Mister Hilding? Are we buying it, renting it, or binning it? I definitely feel like my love of this movie is diminished a little bit the more you have to analyze the plot uh but i still rank it up there you know the the same as when i saw this two times in one week going into it expecting i was going to hate it uh, i still enjoy so much about this it's definitely a buy it for me um look I think it's one of these films that does get better every time i watch it i there's a lot about this i like but it's still i still so much prefer the sam raimi films and uh said okay please tell me films means one and two (laughs) you know i like three i rented three um i don't know there's just there's just something that sometimes you just go a certain direction with a film and you know let's make it darker and more realistic and i mean it kind of uh, i don't know i'm gonna rent it i'm gonna rent it um, it's, it's a, it's a rent a lot though. It's not a, you know, okay. it's, it's a rent. I'll, I'll constantly rent it, but I just don't, I can't, I, I own it. <laughs> I have bought it. <laughs> that's more of a, you also have Spider-Man three. So, um, that's more of a keep the collection intact. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't 
put it in the same category as Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 for myself. I know that kind of seems we'd all be putting the same category as Spider-Man 3, Ben. Um, but I would rent this movie a lot to kind of okay. clarify that. We don't have a rent you it know, a lot really, category. It, really, <laughs> it only takes four times of renting it before you might as well have bought it. Well, so exactly. <laughs> we'll take that as a win. I would rent it a lot. I would watch it if it was on TV. Um, you know. The, we're just expanding our categories. All right, uh, we're, we're really going to go because we're, 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 I don't know how long we're at, we're like 20 hours by now. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Colin. Uh, I'm just going to say it. I don't like, I do not, do not, do not. I'm turning into Andrew Garfield. I do not like, <laughs> I do not like the Amazing Man. <laughs> Fucking hell. This echidna just like, it comes and goes and now it's back again. Let's try that again. English is a language you're trying to speak, Ben. I do not like the Amazing Spider-Man 2. I have only seen it once leading into our future rewatch because I haven't rewatched it for this yet. Uh, and I was not impressed. So I'm not looking forward to watching this again. And I hope, though, my opinion might be changed. But yeah, that's my general opinion of The Amazing Spider Man 2. Um, I'm going to be more positive on this one. It's interesting because I haven't seen it in a while, too. Uh, I saw it. Like every Spider-Man movie but the third one, I did see it multiple times when it was out in theaters. Uh, and I have seen it on Blu-ray since then. But it's been probably a good year and a half since I've seen it. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to hold up for me. But I think I'm going to be way more positive than you are. I remember when it came out, thinking that even though it may not have been the greatest Spider-Man movie ever, I felt in a lot of ways it was more entertaining than any of the other Spider-Man movies. So there's a lot of stuff to look forward to in here, but there will be some stuff to pick on. I feel like this is the movie where maybe as good as The Amazing Spider-Man was, Sony said to them, we're missing some of like our kid-friendly audience from the Sam Raimis, so they maybe made it a little bit more kid-friendly, and I don't think it necessarily helped it as much, but uh, it's going to be a fun one to cover still, because I think we're going to be disagreeing a lot, maybe more than we did on Spider-Man 3. Uh, I mean, there are there are a few bits that I do remember from my one watch that I did quite like. There's a lot of visual stuff in this film that I really do like, the look of it, um, and uh, there's one scene in particular that I really, really like. It's just coolly done, but um, yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, look, thank you for tuning in for the last seven weeks whilst we've covered The Amazing spider-man it's uh <laughs> felt like it's been that long since we've recorded this but uh it's been an interesting time if you enjoy these um we really want you to tell us <laughs> just you can <laughs> go to facebook comment uh, send us a message like us while you're there you can tweet us uh at the oz network email the oz network at hotmail.com and of course our website theoznetwork.net where we've got all these uh films and uh tv episodes and all that sort of stuff ready to go iTunes is the easiest way to get these, of course, as you would know. While you're there, subscribe, rate us while you're there. Also, you can find us on Stitcher if you're an Android user, and, of course, Spotify if you like to stream your songs and music and podcasts and whatever the kids are doing these days. But, uh, yes, we're only a couple of weeks away, of course, from Spider-Man Homecoming, which means we've only got The Amazing Spider-Man 2 to go. We'll do a recap probably just before the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming as well to go in there. We've got plenty to keep you company on the Oz Network outside of this as well in terms of our TV watches and everything else in between. It's been fun. It's been a marathon. I've caught some diseases throughout this one and uh, discovered that Dennis Leary was also in this film, amongst many other things. But I'm going to close it out by saying my name is Ben, and I'm not a cripple. I'm a podcast host. And my name is Colin, and I... uh... I um I, I have cramps and I feel pukey and and just emotional, lots of crying. 
Uh, and I also did 80% of Ben's job today. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.